0: our Darlington 2 NASCAR weekend preview and Hot Topic Sound Off. In our first half hour, we are going to cover the uh, upcoming short track and dirt races. Next, we'll preview the ARCA Menard Series race that's taking place out at DeCoin State Fairgrounds this weekend, and then we'll give you a quick uh, ARCA East and ARCA West Series update. Uh, Then we're going to offer some updates for the NASCAR Truck Series. They're not racing this weekend. Uh so we'll keep you up to date there and then afterward we will preview the NASCAR Xfinity series and the Cup series out at Darlington Raceway. Uh stay tuned for our hot top, hot topics sound off discussion uh that is taking place uh to close out our podcast for today. Now joining me for today's show is our co-host Jay Hughesman. Welcome to the show, Jay.
1: Thank you, Sharon. I thought it was kind of ironic. You said we're going to cover dirt track and then short track and then DeCoin, which is a short dirt track. That's true. (laughs) It works. Lead lead right into it. Yep.
0: Okay. So... uh... Let's go ahead. We've got a lot on the short track and dirt track scene uh, for this weekend, so let's go ahead and get started with that. Uh, there are some races that are taking place today, in fact.
1: All right. You want me to start on the uh, whoops on the dirt?
0: Yeah, go ahead. Oh. All
1: right. Let me get those pulled back up. I know I saw you sent them to me now. All right. For August 31st, dirt. There we go. Uh, there's one that's going to be uh, the World Owl uh, Sprint Car Series at Skagit Speedway. Uh, that'll be 9.15 p.m. on Dirt Vision.
0: Oh, okay. And then I'm looking for our August 31st. That's September 1. It didn't come in... Uh, like it usually does in order. I guess it was to, that's it for the uh, August 31st.
1: Yeah, I didn't see any so short then, track ones, just the dirt. Okay,
0: then I'll go ahead and do the short tracks and then we can go to the dirt uh, for September 1st. Uh, Speed weekend, 2.50 at Speedway 660 at 5 p.m. on Flow Racing. Also on Flow Racing at 5.45 p.m. is the Late Model 50 at Stafford Speedway. At 7 p.m. over at Flow Racing, it's the NASCAR Weekly Racing Series uh, F. Lawrence Motor Speedway. And there's no time listed here, but you can check it out over at Flow Racing. Uh, at Oswego Speedway, they will have the International Classic. For dirt, there are a ton of races in the dirt category.
1: It definitely does pick up on Friday night. You've got the World Outlaw Sprint Car Series, night number two at Skagit Speedway, 9.15 p.m. on Dirt Vision. But back up a little bit at 7.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision, you got the World Outlaw Late Models, and that's from Mississippi Thunder Speedway. Don't be fooled. That's up actually near Minnesota, though. Uh, the Extreme Outlaw Series, they're going to be at Paragon Speedway, covered at 6 p.m. on Dirt Vision. Flow so Racing has a to-be-determined time for the All-Star Circuit of Champions from Attica Raceway Park. But at 6.30 p.m., they got Championship Night, and that will be at the Autodrome Granby. Then back over on Dirt Vision, 6.45 p.m. Weekly Racing comes from William Grove Speedway, 7.15 p.m., weekly racing at Doe Run Speedway. Also at 7.15, weekly racing at Jacksonville Speedway. Then, Flow Racing's got the Mars Late Mar Tour from Farmer City Raceway at 7.30 p.m., 7.55 p.m. They're showing the Showdown at Motown from Marshalltown Speedway. And Flow Racing's got a bunch more there that are to be determined. The Comp Cam Super Late Models at Crowley's Ridge raceway and night the championship night from Utica Rome Speedway ira sprints from Dodge County Fairgrounds weekly racing from New Tulsa Speedway and mlra ron jenkins memorial from Lucas Oil Speedway i just want to add a correction there compcam super late models should be at Jackson Motor Speedway Friday night I don't know why they have it listed as Crowley
0: Ridge. Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, now we'll move to September the 2nd. Uh, They'll have the World of Outlaws, uh, and there's two parts here for Dirt. I'll do part one, you do part two. Uh, the World of Outlaws Sprint Car Series at Skagit Speedway at 9.15 on Dirt Vision. Then we've got the World of Outlaws, uh, Late Models Deer Creek Speedway at 6.45 p.m., uh, available at Dirt Vision. Also at Dirt Vision, two more races of uh, the, at 5.45. It's the Super Dirt Car Series at Lebanon Valley Speedway and the Extreme Outlaw Series at Paragon Speedway at 6 p.m. over on Dirt Vision. Now moving over to Flow Racing, uh, we've got three races. At 6.05, it's the USAC Ted Horn 100 at DeCoin State Fairgrounds. At uh, 6.30 at Flow Racing, it's the Lucas Oil Portsmouth Raceway Park. And at 5.30 p.m. at Flow Racing, it's the Renninger Memorial at Port Uh, Royal Speedway.
1: All right. And as you said, there are two pages here for Saturday. I'll give you another update here. Uh, Weekly racing Millbridge Speedway. it will be 5.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision. 6 p.m. Flow Racing is weekly racing from Bridgeport Speedway. Then Volusia Speedway Park. That's being covered on Dirt Vision at 6 p.m. for weekly racing. And 6.15 weekly racing from the Land of Le- Legends Raceway. Um, weekly racing, Doe Run Raceway, that'll be 7.15 p.m. on Dirt Vision. 7.30, it's weekly racing from Hussett Speedway. Now, here's where I got the update. Fourth, or, uh, at 8 p.m. on Flow Racing, Comp Cam's Super Late Models from Jackson Motor Speedway. That's our feature event night, so they might be showing a replay instead of Friday night uh, preliminaries, I guess um ultimate Hmm. super speedway or ultimate super late models sorry they'll be at red hill raceway that time is to be determined and the ira sprints from plymouth dirt track uh, also to be determined and then the mars late mar mar's late model series they move to Fairbury american legion speedway and that time also be determined but will be covered by flow racing
0: Okay, now we'll move over to the short tracks on September the 2nd. A ton of races happening here on September 2nd. Okay, um, for short tracks, the Wheel and Modified Tour at Oswego Speedway uh, is a TBD over at Flow Racing, to be determined. Check it out there. Also on Flow Racing, at 4 o'clock, we've got the Smart Modified Tour at Carteret County Speedway. At 5 p.m. on Flow Racing, it's the NASCAR Weekly Racing over at Riverhead Speedway. And at 6 p.m., it's the NASCAR Weekly Racing at Berlin Raceway over at Flow Racing. Uh, Three more here. Actually, all of these are at Flow Racing. Uh, At 7 p.m., it's the NASCAR Weekly Racing at South Boston Speedway. 10 p.m. at Alaska Raceway Park, we will have the NASCAR season finale on Flow Racing. Uh, These next three are all to be determined as far as time, but they're all on Flow Racing, so check out the times there. Hickory Motor Speedway will have the Bobby Isaac Memorial. They'll also have the NASCAR Weekly Racing at Jennerstown Speedway Complex and the NASCAR Weekly Racing over at Langley Speedway, all on Flow Racing. So now we move over to September third. Do you have that pulled up, Jay?
1: I don't have one for the third. The next one I got is the fourth.
0: Okay, let's go to the the fourth then.
1: All right, there we got uh, a couple of them. The World Outlaw Sprint Car Series from Gray's Grays Harbor Raceway, 745 p.m. on Dirt Vision. The USAC Fireman's Nationals uh, and Gel Park Speedway at 6.05 p.m. That'll be on Flow Racing. And then also on Flow Racing at 12.30 p.m. is the Labor Day Classic from Port Royal Speedway. For a short track, it includes the NASCAR Weekly Racing from Meridian Speedway. Time to be determined there on Flow Racing.
0: All right. I did miss the September 3rd for the dirt and the short track, so I'll do all of those. I apologize, Jay. Uh, An oversight on my part. Uh, Okay, we have the USAC Fireman's Fireman's National at Angel Park Speedway at 6.05 over at Flow Racing. Then on Dirt Vision, we've got a couple of races. The Weekly Racing at Volusia Speedway Park at 6 p.m. And the Weekly Racing at uh, Assets Speedway at 7.30 p.m. on Dirt Vision. Then at 8.30 uh, at Magnolia Motor Speedway, they've got the Comp Cam's Late Models, uh, Flow Racing. Uh, Racing date, time to be determined over at Flow Racing at Lincoln Speedway is the Dirt Classic. Uh, All the rest of these are times to be determined, but they're all over at Flow Racing, so you can check out times there. They've got the Short Track Super Series at Utica Rome Speedway the 15 Baltes Classic and Eldora Speedway, and the Hillbilly 100 Uh, At Tyler County Speedway And the Labor Day blowout At Cochrane Motor Speedway Again all to be determined Time wise over Flow Racing And for short track there's a couple of races Here 1pm at Flow Racing Is the 45th Labor Day Classic at Thunder Road International Speed Bowl And the NASCAR Youth Series at Darlington Raceway that will be At 8.30am And that will be available on Flow Racing so uh a little bit of extra racing there over at Darlington Raceway. Uh and I also have here, and you can read it uh, Jay, there are a couple of updates um with regard to dirt and short tracks.
1: Some news. All right, we got yeah, yeah, we got some news. Uh Ross Jastain has fallen in love with dirt dirt late model racing and hopes to uh do more of it. Check out an article by Kyle McFadden there on flow racing, and there are also 20 entries for the driver. They're driven to driven. save lives. Yep, yeah, BC 39 uh, for Brian Clausen, scheduled for September 27th through the 30th, and that's covered by Richie Murray at USAC uh, Media. And then for short track news, Bubba Pollard scored a last ditch ride for the Oxford 250. And Jeff Brown covers that on the short track scene.
0: Okay, and that's what we have for our short track news. Uh, we might as well go right into our Arkham and Series race uh, that's taking place, the Southern Illinois 100 at DeCoin, Illinois. That's DeCoin State Fairgrounds uh, Speedway. That'll be on Sunday, September the 3rd, 9 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Central. And it will be televised live on Fox Sports 1 uh, at those same times. Be, it's a one-mile track, so they're going 100 laps to cover 100 miles.
1: In the Southern Illinois, 100 is the 16th race of the 20-race, 2023 Arkham Series season. It'll be the 42nd time that the Arkham Series has raced at the DeQuoin State Fairgrounds.
0: Jesse Love, he enters the Southern Illinois 100 with a 120-point lead in the Arkham Art Series championship standings over the second-place driver, Andres Perez. Uh, Hollywood actor-turned-race car driver Frankie Muniz he's third. He's 13 points out of second. So the battle really is going to be for those positions uh, beyond the first place.
1: Well, and somebody battling for money as well, though. Brent Cruz, who won at the Illinois State Fairgrounds a couple of weeks ago, is the only driver eligible to win now the Performance Seed Dirt Double $20,000 bonus. Goes to the driver that can win both the Arkham and Arden Series Dirt Track races in 2023. Should Cruz win, his total payout, including the race purse and special awards, could approach $35,000.
0: That's a nice little hefty change in your pocket. All right. Now, since the two Illinois Fairground dirt miles were added to the Arkham and Series schedule in 1983, a driver has swept the winds at both tracks a total of 10 times. Dean Roper did it twice in 83 and 86. Bob Kazowski did it in 1988 and 89. Bob d did it in 1990 Frank Kimmel he did it four times in two thousand one two oh five and oh eight. Parker Kligerren did it most recently in two thousand and nine so uh that's that's pretty cool
1: uh, that is cool unfortunately, I don't think they had the bonus yet for those guys, but uh it's still a a cool feat, no matter the case
0: yeah, absolutely.
1: Now, should crews not claim that $20,000 bonus, uh, the driver with the best average finish in the two dirt track races will earn a bonus of 7500 The driver with the second best average will then take home $5,000, and the driver with the third best average will take home $2,500. I like that they're still splitting it up. If one person doesn't take it all, they're splitting it up amongst those top three.
0: That's right. I like that, too. Okay, Jesse Love, well, he's won eight of 15 Arkham Art Series races that have been held so far this year. He has wins at Talladega Super Speedway, Kansas Speedway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Elko Speedway, Pino Raceway, Michigan International Speedway, Lucas Oil Indianapolis Raceway Park, and Watkins Glen International. All different types of tracks, Jay.
1: He has, which shows his dominant season in a big points lead. But going back to Cruz, Cruz became the second youngest winner in Arkham Menard series history with his win there at Springfield at 15 years, four months, and 21 days. Uh, Todd Gillen is still the youngest winner in series history when he won at Toledo in 2015 at 15 years, no months, and two days. He didn't wait very long after he was 15.
0: <laughs> That's true. Okay, previous Arkham Series winners at DeCoin State Fairgrounds include Jerry Unzer, who did it in 1957, Jimmy Bryan, also in 57, one of my favorite drivers, Fred Lorenzen from Elmhurst, Illinois, did it in 1958 and 1959, Dean Roper in 83, 86, 87, and 94, David Goldsberry in 1985, Lee Raymond in 1985, Bob Keslowski, that's a familiar name, that's uh, Brad Keslowski's dad, 1988 uh, and 1989, Bob Brebeck in 1990, Bob Strait in 1999, I'm sorry, 1991, Bob Schott in 1992, Billy Thomas in 93, 97, 98, and 2000. Bob Hill in 95 and 96, uh, Jeff Finley in 99, Frank Kimmel, the winningest driver in the Arkham Menards series, did it in 2000, 2001, 3, 5, and 8, Tony Stewart, we know that name, in, ni- in 2002, Kenny Schrader, another Illinois guy, did it in 2006, 7, and 13, uh, Parker Kligerman, in 2009, Steve Arpin in 2010, Chris Busher, our most recent Cup Series winner, did it in 2011, Grant Infinger, the most recent Truck Series winner in 2000, Tom the third, in 2016, Austin Terrio in 2017, Logan Seavey in 2018, Christian Eckes, another truck driver, 2019, Landon Lewis. 2021 and Ryan Unsicker from Illinois in 2022.
1: Thing I noticed there, there was a mixture of some dirt track drivers as well as some that didn't have a whole lot of dirt experience. So I thought that was kind of cool.
0: Very cool.
1: And when we're looking at some records for the uh, DuCoin. I remember race. Jay. Jay, yep.
0: real quick. I remember Austin Terrio telling us on the radio show that he didn't think he was much of a dirt track racer, and he's on that list.
1: <laughs> That's right. There's a couple of them that, yeah, they're really – the experience level was very low, and they didn't feel good about it, but still pick up that victory. That just shows driver talent. It does. And when we look at the uh, DeCoin State Fairgrounds record, Sheldon Creed holds the Arkham Menard Series track qualifying record, That was set in 2018 at 31.804 mile or second, sorry. It equals 113.190 miles per hour.
0: Okay, I lost my place, Jay.
1: Uh, Christian X. Okay,
0: here, I've got it. Uh, Did you want to do the fewest cautions? Oh, no, wait a second. The record for the most caution flags, whoops. It went down altogether. Okay. Go up the record. Go up the, one
1: and cover Christian Eckys.
0: Oh, Christian Ekies, okay, thank you. Christian Eckies holds the Arkham and Series one hundred mile race record at De Coin State Fairgrounds. That was set in two thousand nineteen at one hour, five minutes, eight seconds, representing ninety one point one one nine miles per hour. Thank you, Jay.
1: Yeah, I, that stat itself was amazing, a 100-mile race in just over an hour. Uh, now, the record for the most caution flags in the 100-mile Arkham Series race at DuCoin is 12, and for a record of 57 laps, that was set in 2003. On the other end, the fewest caution flags in a 100-mile Arkham race there is 2 for 12 laps, and that was set back just in 2019.
0: All right. The record for the most lead changes in a 100-mile Arkham and Art Series race at DeCoyne is 10, and that was set in 2005. The fewest lead changes is one, and they did it three times in 2009, in 21, and again in 22. Will they do it again in
1: 23? I have to wait and see. Now, there have been three different race distances for races in the modern era, which clearly is from – post 1979 for the DeCoin State Fairgrounds. From 1984 to 91, the scheduled race distance was 200 miles, while from 1992 to 95, it was scheduled for 156 miles or 250 kilometers. Then in 1983, and then from 96 through the present race, it's scheduled for 100 miles.
0: Now the race has only been shortened by inclement weather three times in 1991, 2004, and actually just last year in 2022, and postponed, then canceled altogether in 2012. The race has been extended into overtime 11 times. The most recent was in 2021.
1: There's two different sets of rules uh, or things you need to know this weekend. Should there be a restart within the final 10 laps of the race, or any overtime restart those restarts will be single file the lead lap cars will be at the front of the field followed by lap cars uh, lap down cars as they were running unless they pitted or under penalty
0: okay also should the race need to be extended into overtime there will be unlimited attempts at a two-lap green-white checkered finish. Should the caution flag be displayed after the white flag is displayed, there will be unlimited attempts at a one-lap green flat, green and white together finish. So, uh, again, we like to let you know what the specific rules are for those specific tracks.
1: And just a quick note there, Sharon, if you're not familiar – That single file restart within 10 laps to go is a common rule that's uh, enforced at dirt dirt track. So I think they're adjusting and and following dirt track rules when they're there on a dirt track. I think that's kind of cool.
0: It is kind of cool. It, It really is. Uh, now, real quick, I want to make sure we give you the updates on when the next races are for, we know the Southern Illinois 100 is this uh, September 3rd at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, but there's a race coming up here for the Arkham Art Series East, and I believe it's a combination race at Bristol Motor Speedway with the Arkham Menard Series on September 14th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's the Bushes 200, and it will be televised on Fox For the ARCA West, we have to wait a little bit longer. Their next race is on September 30th. We've mentioned it before, but just as a reminder, uh, it's the Napa Auto Car 150 at 10.45 p.m. over at All-American Speedway, and that will be uh, available via live streaming over at Flow Racing. So uh, you have some updates there, but there's all kinds of articles. Over at ArcaRacing.com, uh that uh, you can read about it to kind of familiarize yourself with the drivers.
1: Well, and I, I believe on that uh, doubleheader there, you talked about at Bristol. I believe that is the championship race for the ARCA Menard Series East. Is that not their eighth and it final is. race? There it you is. So their eighth championship and final race to be decided at Bristol.
0: That's true uh real quick we do have an entry list here uh i think we've got time to get it done jay do you want to start at the bottom and work your way up
1: all right starting in the 06 uh wayne peterson racing toyota that'll be a.j moyer uh tampa florida wayne peterson the car owner nate moeller the crew chief
0: Okay, and the O three is Alex Club from Morris, Illinois. Uh he'll be he's the owner. Brian Club will be on the pit box for the Club Racing Inc. Ford this weekend.
1: We'll see the Kimmel's at the dirt track. It is Bill Kimmel gonna crew chief the Ford he owns, the number sixty nine. Driver will be Will Kimmel, comes out of yes. Kellersburg, Indiana. Thinking. i like
0: to see Will Kimmel race.
1: <laughs> oh, you were Yang. I got you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. We'll move up to in up number six. Yeah, in the number 66 is John Garrett from Athens, Texas. He'll be behind the wheel of the Venture Food Store Chevrolet uh, for H- Hillenburgs. And uh, Mike Shroof is the crew chief.
1: Back in his own number 48 this week, Brad Smith going to be carrying the Capriya sponsorship Chevrolet coming from Shelbyville Township, Michigan, and he's got Noah Wetzel with him to help him out.
0: Ryan Lendon is on top of the pit box for the number 32 with Christian Rose behind the wheel. He's from Martinsburg, West Virginia, and will be carrying his familiar West Virginia. Department of Tourism on the side of his Ford uh, for Kevin Sawinski.
1: And we've seen the number 31 Chevrolet owned by Tim Goulet uh, frequently. Going to be crew chief by him, but new driver for this week is going to be Brayton Laster. Comes out of Greenwood, Indiana. And they're going to carry the preferred paint and drywall Cyberfox Twitter sponsorship.
0: Okay. Behind the wheel of his number... Th- 30, Rhett Jones Racing four is uh, Frankie Munez from Scottsdale, Arizona. He'll have Ford Performance on the side of his car this weekend. And Mark Rhett will be his crew chief.
1: Good looking paint scheme is the Yahoo Mobile One Toyota Aventurinis. That's the number 25, going to be driven again by Brent Cruz. Comes out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And it's Mon- Monon Raham or Robbins, sorry, Monon Rauman as the crew chief.
0: Jesse Love will be behind the wheel of the familiar number 20 Venturini Motorsports Toyota. Uh, Jesse comes from Redwood City, California, and will carry gear wrench on his car. Shannon Rush is his crew chief.
1: One getting some dirt experience this weekend, to be... The number 18 Joe Gibbs Toyota driver, William Sawalich, out of Eden Prairie, Minnesota. A Starkey Sound Gear sponsor, with Matt Ross as his crew chief.
0: John Hansen will be on top of the pit box for the number 16 Kelly Kotsky driver. He hails from Sherman, Illinois, and will carry Brent. Uh, Schleckbriar Farms and Snop Service on the side of his Chevrolet for Roy Kofsky.
1: The number 15 Venturini Toyota with Venturini Motorsports is going to be Sean Hingarani paired up with Kevin Reed Jr. Hingarani coming all the way from Newport Beach, California.
0: And from Elmwood, Illinois is Tim Monroe behind the wheel of the number 12 Hillenburg Chevrolet. Kim Monroe will be in his crew chief, his own crew chief, and he'll carry Rumble Farms HOI vending on the side of his Chevrolet.
1: Another Illinois driver, Northern Illinois, is Dallas Fru, and he'll be in the Hillenburg Number 11 Ford with UTI, Universal Technical Institute, and it looks like he's going to have to crew chief himself
0: okay, Andy Hillenberg's going to be on top of uh his Hillenberg Toyota on top of the pit box for his uh hillenberg Toyota he'll have Clayton Weatherman uh behind the wheel of the number ten that he hails from Winston, Missouri, and we'll have freedom welding j m c s on the side of his toyota
1: and I covered California from the other corner of the u s is Sean Corr comes out of Goshen in New York. He'll be in the number eight. uh, John Corr owned Ford. Mike Cheek will be crew chief in Calling the Shots with Miller Welders as the sponsor.
0: Okay. And our last driver is uh, a Max Siegel Chevrolet driver. Jamie Jones is the crew chief. And it's Andre Perez de Lara from Mexico City, Mexico behind the wheel of that number two Chevrolet. Okay, that's all of our drivers uh, for the Arkham Menard Series. Uh, we're now going to move over to the NASCAR Truck Series updates. They are not racing this weekend, but they will be racing the Kansas Lottery 200 at Kansas Speedway on Friday, September the 8th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, we'll have all the details uh, when we do the preview uh, next week. So, Jay? What kind of updates do we have there?
1: Well, the series may not be racing, but one of the drivers is, as Carson Hosevar is going to drive the number 42 Legacy Motor Club Chevrolet in the NASCAR Cup Series race at Darlington Raceway. LMC announced that the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoff contender and standout driver Carson Hosevar will pilot the number 42 Sunseeker Resort Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 during the Southern Cookout 500 at Darlington Raceway this weekend. The 20-year-old is currently ranked fourth in the Craftsman Truck Series Championship Point Standings, has accumulated three wins, nine top five finishes, as well as 10 top tens, and led a total of 223 laps this season. A host host of our made his NASCAR Cup Series debut at Gateway, where he drove the number seven Spire Motorsports Chevrolet and had a good run, but unfortunately found himself involved in a crash that he did not finish.
0: Okay. Well, the season is winding down for the Truck Series with two of three races uh, in the, with two, well, actually they have wound down there. They've got two races of three races in the round of 10 completed. Uh, And now we look at the clinch scenarios as they head into their. Uh, elimination race next at Kansas. Uh, four drivers have already clinched a spot in the eight driver field. They include Corey Heim, Christian Eckes, Grant Infinger, and Ty Majeski. Grant vinker and Ty Majeski both have wins. Corey Heim and Christian Eckes have done it on points. However, if there is a repeat winner, or a win by a driver who cannot advance to the next round, uh, these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the seventh winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements would hold true if a new win comes from among Corey Heim, Christian Eckes, Carson Hosafar, Zane Smith, Matt Crafton, or Nick Sanchez. Those are all playoff drivers. Carson Josefar is going to clinch regardless of his finish. Zane Smith needs 27 points. Matt Crafton needs 40. I'm sorry. Zane Smith needs 27 points. Matt Crafton needs 47 points, and Nick Sanchez needs 53 points. Ben Rhodes can clinch with 55 points, but he needs help if Nick Sanchez wins the race, and Matt DiBenedetto needs a win now, or for the other drivers to have bad a bad day. Now, if there's a new winner from Ben Rhodes or another winless driver lower in the standings but still eligible to advance to the next round, these drivers can clinch by being ahead of the sixth winless driver in the standings. Carson Holzfar only needs two points. Zane Smith uh, can clinch with 30 points. Matt Crafton needs 50 points. Nick Sanchez, Ben Rhodes, and Matt De Benedetto can only uh, clinch with a win, or if the other drivers have a really bad day. Now, the other drivers here can win, uh, can clinch with a win, uh, and they include all the rest of the playoff drivers: Carson Hosevar, Zane Smith, Matt Crafton, Nick Sanchez, Ben Rhodes, and Matt De Benedetto.
1: Well, it looks like Hosevar is all butt-locked in, but we'll have to see how it plays out here in two weeks. Nope. Now, we went through that list. There were two there, Rhodes and Di Benedetto. They're on that outside looking in. Following the Clean Harbors 175 at the Milwaukee Mile, Thor so Sport Racing veteran Ben Rhodes and Rackley Wars Matt Di Benedetto find themselves below that NASCAR Craftsroom Truck Series round of eight cut line. Last weekend, the 2021 NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series champion Ben Rhodes had to battle all afternoon and managed to finish sixth at the Milwaukee Mile and left the 1.015-mile paved oval just three points back from the round of eight cut line. The 2023 season is the 26-year-old's sixth playoff appearance. Now, the contenders will head to Kansas Speedway next weekend, where Rhodes previously finished 16th but led 17 laps. In 11 starts at the 1.5-mile Oval, the Louisville, Kentucky native has two top-five finishes, five top tens, and a total of 59 laps led. His best finish in the Sunflower State was second back in the spring of 2019. Unlike the vast playoff experience Rhodes has, Matt DiBenedetto is in his first appearance in the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoffs. It's been 19 races since DiBenedetto's last victory uh, trip, and that was at Talladega back in 2022. But the Grass Valley, California native knows how to race his way into the top 10. He's recorded 10 top 10 finishes this season. And driver of the number 25 Rackley War Chevrolet, had an unfortunate day at the Milwaukee Mile, finishing 27th, and he's now 20 points back from that round of eight cut line in the final transfer position. Currently, Red Racing's rookie, Nick Sanchez, is that eighth and final position to transfer to the next round of the playoff on points. And just ahead of Sanchez in seventh, there is Thor Sport Racing's driver and three-time Craftsman Truck Series champion, Matt Crafton. He's up nine points on the cut line. So there's a lot that could be done within the points, but uh win secures it.
0: Exactly. Now, an interesting storyline heading into the Milwaukee Mile uh, was Grant Infinger and in G- G- GMS Racing. Just four days after his organization announced that it would cease operations at the end of the season, GMS Racing's veteran Grant Infinger grabbed a pivotal win at the Milwaukee Mile. Infinger completely took the track by storm, starting on the pole. He swept both stages and led 95 of 175 laps. The driver of the 23, number 23 GMS Racing Chevrolet, passed Carson Hosevar for the lead on lap 159 after methodically picking off drivers one by one from the back on, the, on new tires. He then pulled away to win his third race of the season by 1.553 seconds. The dominant victory was the veteran's 10th triumph in 168 races and his 10th top-10 finish in 23. Hailing from Fairhope, Alabama, he's recorded 10 wins at 10 different tracks, Talladega in 2016, Las Vegas in 18. Daytona, Atlanta, Richmond, and Martinsville in 2020, IRP in 2022, Kansas, Gateway, and Milwaukee this season. The competitors have one week off before heading to Kansas Speedway, where earlier this year Enfinger prevailed late to collect his first win of the season. As for the other nine Craftsman Truck Series playoff contenders, the return to the Milwaukee Mile had its ups and downs. Josefar finished second, Hecke's third, Heim fourth, Crafton fifth, Majeski finished seventh, Smith came in at 12th, Rhodes at 16th, Sanchez in 24th, and we mentioned earlier De Benedetto had a 27th place finish. So <clears throat> as... Uh, as Jay indicated, Ben Rhodes and Matt De Benedetto are below the cut line. Ben Rhodes by three points, De Benedetto by two. Nick Sanchez is three points to the good. Matt Crafton nine points to the good. Then it's Zane Smith and Carson Josevar, uh, that uh, are in pretty good shape. Hosavar at sixty-six points to the good, and uh, Zane Smith at twenty-nine points uh, to the good. Now. The four drivers, as we mentioned earlier, that have uh, secured their spots, Grant Infinger and Ty Majeski with wins, uh, and Corey Heim and Christian Eckes, who have secured their place at 70 points and 61 points to the good. So uh, that's uh, the playoff outlook as it stands now.
1: So with that, we got six drivers going to be going for four spot as the Craftsman Truck Series prepares for the Round 10 finale at Kansas Speedway. For the second time this season, the NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series will return to Kansas Speedway, but this time it will be for the Round of 10 finale, the Kansas Lottery 200 coming up on September 8th. Now located in the Booming Village West area of or near Kansas City, Kansas Speedway, houses a 1.5 mile trioval. Construction on the speedway began back in 1999 in Kansas Wyand- Wyandot Wyandotte I don't know if I said that. Wyandot, okay. Wyandot County. Uh, shortly after it began NASCAR and the Indy Racing League announced they would both bring a slate of events uh, to the area for its inaugural racing season. The grandstands opened on June 2, 2001 for the Speedway's first races. The 1.5-mile track has hosted 26 Craftsman Truck Series races since its inaugural Craftsman Truck Series event on July 7, 2001. It was a race won by Ricky Hendrick driving the number 17 Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet. Next weekend, Kansas Speedway will play host to that round of 10 finale where only four spats remain to advance to the round of eight. Notably, there have been 22 different winners at Kansas Speedway. 64-time Craftsman Truck Series winner, NASCAR Cup Series star Kyle Busch, along with NASCAR Craftsman Truck Series playoff contender Matt Crafton, are tied for the series' most wins at the track with three wins apiece practice of qualifying for the Kansas Lottery 200. That'll be on September 8th, and we'll cover that again more on our preview next week.
0: Okay, we're moving on now to the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They're at Darlington Raceway this weekend for the Sports, Club, <laughs> Sports Clips Haircuts VFW Help a Hero 200. That race will take place Saturday, September the 2nd at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. And it will be televised on USA at 3 p.m. with pre-race coverage. Also coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio Channel 90. They'll be covering a distance of 200.8 miles over 147 laps. First two stages are 45 laps each. Stage 1 ends ending on lap 45. Stage two on lap 90, and the last stage will be 117. Let me see if I got that right. It'll be 137 laps uh, ending on lap 147.
1: All right. For the Xfinity Series, take a quick look here at the Sunoco Rookie Rookie of the Year update. Now, the regular season is on the verge of wrapping up, and Chandler Smith continues to lead the pack as he has all season long, with one win coming at Richmond, five top fives and nine top tens, totaling 675 points. Joe Gibbs Racing's Sammy Smith, though, still sits close behind, with one win uh, coming at Phoenix, four top fives, ten top tens, for 609 points. Jordan Anderson Racing's Parker class has posted one top five and six top tens this season, accumulating 456 points. Closing out the competition is Blaine Perkins with 196 points.
0: Okay. Um, Let me find my place here. Okay, it's crunch time at Darlington Raceway. Eight drivers have clinched their way into the playoffs leaving four spots up for grabs. Sheldon Creed, Josh Berry, Daniel Hemrick, Parker Kligerman currently hold hold those spots on points and will be sure to give it all they have to secure their spot. Now, Richard Childress Racing's uh, Sheldon Creed has made three starts at Darlington Raceway. Although he's yet to snag a win at that track, he did post a runner-up finish in last year's September race. Now, if he makes it to the postseason, it'll mark his first Xfinity Series playoff appearance. Junior Motorsports' Josh Berry's, well, he's made five starts at the Lady in Black, posting one top five and three top ten finishes. Like Creed, he's also come extremely close to tasting victory. He finished runner-up in 2021. Now, uh, Berry made his first Xfinity Series playoff appearance. Uh, last season where he made it to the championship four from colleague racing daniel Haberick has nine darlington starts under his belt he's posted one top five and three top ten finishes he's no stranger to making playoff runs already with four xfinity series playoff appearances on his resume and even a championship trophy in his trophy case from 2021 But Parker Kligerman from Big Machine Racing's uh, uh, team has three stints at Darlington Raceway with a best finish of 13th. Kligerman is in his second full-time Xfinity Series season, and if he manages to stay above that cut line, he'll be making his first playoff appearance. Mm -hmm. So those are the drivers to watch on the cut line for this weekend.
1: And when we look at the clinch scenarios, uh, still a little bit as we got two to go in the regular season. So it's only those two races left. They'll be pushing the limits to secure their spot in the 2023 playoffs. Already clinched, there's eight drivers that have clinched a spot in the 12-driver postseason field. Those include Austin Hill, Justin Allgaier, John Hunter Niemacek, Cole Custer, Sam Mayer, Chandler Smith, Sammy Smith, and then Jeb Burton. Now, if there is a repeat winner or win by a driver who cannot advance to the playoffs, drivers can clinch by being 56 points above the fourth winless driver in the standings. The same point requirements would be true if a new win comes from among Josh Berry, Sheldon Creed, or Daniel Hemrick. Josh Berry would clinch with 21 points. Sheldon Creed and Daniel Hemrick can only do it with help. Now, if the new winner comes from Parker Kligerman or a winless driver lower in the standings but eligible to advance in the playoffs, then you need 56 points above the third winless driver in the standings. That leaves Josh Berry at 54 points. Sheldon Creed could still do it but would need some help. And all the drivers eligible would still be able to clinch on their own. We got Berry, Creed, Hemrick, Parker Kligerman, Riley Herbst, Brandon Jones, Brett Moffitt, Kaz Grala, Parker Retzlaff, Ryan Sieg, Jeremy Clements, Anthony Alfredo, Josh Williams, and Joe Graff Jr. Additionally, the regular season championship, uh, Austin Hill could clinch that this weekend, but he would need some help. He's got the lead right now over John Hunter Nemechek and Justin Allgaier.
0: It's a good place to be. Okay. Uh, Is is the track too tough to tame? Darlington Raceway's 1.366 mile has been nicknamed that, the track too tough to tame. But for some, the taming has come easy as four drivers entered in this weekend's Xfinity Series race have conquered the Lady in Black. They include Justin Algauer, Brandon Jones, Cole Custer, and Kyle Larson. Now, Junior Motorsports' Justin Algauer is coming off a long-awaited win at Daytona as he heads to Darlington. He's uh, the only driver with multiple wins at the track. In his 16 starts, he has posted two wins in 21 and 22, seven top fives and 12 top tens. He posted a runner-up finish when the series ran at the track earlier this season, for NASCAR's official throwback weekend. Always a fun weekend there. Now, junior motorsports teammate Brandon Jones hasn't quite had the season he was hoping for, but he could very well snag his first win of the season this weekend at Darlington. He's made 11 starts at the track, where he's posted one win in 2020, one pole in 22, and two top fives and five top tens. You also got to look out for Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Pester. He's been dominant at that 1.366-mile track, uh, the South Carolina in South Carolina. He's posted what, a top five or top ten finish in all four of his starts. He had a win in 2019 in a race where he bested Tyler Reddick by a mere 0.602 thousandths of a second. Cup Series regular Kyle Larson will get behind the wheel of the number 17 Hendrick Motorsport Chevrolet for his third Xfinity Star- Series start this season. One of his previous starts this season uh, was at Darlington Raceway where he landed himself in Victory Lane. So you got to watch out for him. If Larson wins again this Saturday, he'll become the ninth different driver to post back-to-back wins at the track following Ron Bouchard who had an 84 sweep. Daryl Waltrip won in 85 and 86. Dale Earnhardt between 86 and 87. Harry Gantt between 89 and 90. Dale Jarrett between 90 and 91. Mark Martin in 93, he had a 94 sweep. Again, between the 95 and 96 season, 1999 and 2000 sweep. Jeff Burton. He did it in 2001. He also had a 2002 sweep. And Denny Hamlin in 2006 and 2007. So a lot of drivers keep your eye out there at Darlington.
1: Well, and Darlington is one that has many nicknames, one of them being the Lady in Black as the Xfinity Series heads back there. Now, after some super speedway action at the World Center of Racing, NASCAR Xfinity Series will be heading to Darlington Raceway for the penultimate race in the regular season. The drivers will take on the Lady in Black for the Sports Clip Haircuts VFW Help a Hero 200 on Saturday, September 2nd. That will be covered on, as Sharon mentioned, I believe, the USA Network, MRN, and Sirius XM Radio starting at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. As we head into this weekend, This will be the 67th NASCAR Xfinity Series race at the track, Too Tough to Tame. The previous 66 races have produced 36 different race winners and 32 different pole winners. 15 races have been won from the pole or the first starting position, most recently by Denny Hamlin in 2017. A NASCAR Hall of Famer, Mark Martin sits as the track's winningest driver in the series, tallying eight wins, 93, a 94 sweep, 95, 96, then again picked it up in 99 and 2000 with a sweep. He's also set the record for the most poles at eight, top fives at 14, top tens at 18, and laps led at 972. The track has also been memorable for some drivers as it's been a place of firsts, Justin Ashburn, in 2003, Denny Hamlin in 04, and John Jackson in 2011 all got their first Xfinity Series starts at the Lady in Black, while Kyle Busch in 2004 and Ross Chastain in 2018 each won their first polls here. There is yet to be a driver to post their first career Xfinity Series win at Darlington Raceway. Saturday, September 2nd, that'll be a one-stop shop for the drivers. They'll kick off their morning with practice at 10.35 a.m. Eastern Time, followed by qualifying at 11.05 a.m. Eastern Time. That'll be on the NBC Sports app before gearing up for the Sports Clip Haircuts VFW Help a Hero 200 later that afternoon at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time.
0: All right, we're going to go ahead now and move on to the NASCAR Cup Series. They're also racing their first race of the round of 16 uh, and starting their playoffs in the Cookout Southern 500 at Darlington Raceway this Sunday, September 3rd at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on the USA Network starting at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. Radio coverage is on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Channel 90. They'll be racing a distance of 501.32 miles over 367 laps. The stage uh, first two stages are 115 laps each. Stage 1 ending on lap 115, stage 2 on lap 230, and the final stage is 130 laps, 37 laps ending on lap 367. So we've got an interesting grand marshal coming up here. We certainly do
1: for a special event as well. Uh, Donnie Allison is named grand marshal for Darlington Raceway's NASCAR Cup Series Hauler Parade. Racetrack announced today that the newly elected NASCAR Hall of Famer, Donnie Allison, would be the grand marshal for the annual NASCAR Cup Series Hauler Parade as part of the Crown Royal Presents Darlington Labor Day Race Weekend. Now, a member of the NASCAR's famed Alabama gang and an ambassador for the sport for more than 50 years, Allison never planned to be a race car driver. But But when Donnie's older brother Bobby made the claim that Donnie could never be a driver, well, Donnie set out to prove him and anyone else wrong. Like Bobby, Donnie got his start racing modified and worked his way to the top level of stock car racing. After winning the 1967 Cup Series Rookie of the Year, Allison partnered with famed mechanic Banjo Matthews, where he experienced his most success. In 1970, Allison won three races for Matthews, including the Coca-Cola 600. The following weekend, he finished fourth at the Indianapolis 500, setting a record for the best combined finishes in the two-race crossover that still stands today. But Allison might be best known for his role in NASCAR's most famous moment. In 1979, the Daytona 500 fight with Cale Yarbrough. An intense battle for the win ended with both drivers wrecked and scuffling in the infield. It all happened on that first nationally televised NASCAR race and made headlines across America. The publicity from that was instrumental to the growth of NASCAR and remains one of the defining moments in sports history. The parade is set for uh, Friday, September 1st, with the route beginning at Florence Darlington Technical College and will end at the track, Too Tough to Tame. Beginning at 4 p.m., fans are invited to the Florence Darlington Technical College staging area where they can take photos with their favorite haulers while enjoying live music and food from local vendors. Uh, Allison will participate in the Q&A at 5 p.m., followed by an autograph session from 5.15 to 5.45. The haulers will depart Florence uh, Darlington Technico- Technical College at 6 p.m. and then make their way to the historic Darlington Raceway where they'll get load into the Cale Yarbrough NASCAR Cup Series Garage.
0: Very cool. I always love it when they do those. Okay, there's also the NASCAR Youth Series is going to compete at Darlington Raceway August 31st starting today through September the 3rd. As if professionals of today weren't exciting enough to watch, the NASCAR Youth Series presented by Cookout will showcase the sports stars of tomorrow starting today through September 3rd at Darlington Raceway. Drivers ages 5 to 16 will race in the Mannheim parking lot outside turns 1 and 2, providing fans with even more action leading up to the 74th running of the Cookout Southern 500. The NASCAR Youth Series presented by Cookout, a sanctioning body for the Quarter Midget Racing Division of the United States Auto Club, USAC. Excuse me. It is a family oriented motorsport that involves children ages five to sixteen racing in specially prepared cars. Now the car's rules and safety procedures are designed specifically for kids. Quarter midget racing is divided into fifteen classes and divisions. And kids typically race on oval dirt, concrete, or asphalt tracks, approximately one twentieth of a mile long. So short track racing at its best. The quarter midget car is a scaled-down version of an actual midget car racer, and the cars are built around a tubular frame and are fully suspended with springs or torsion bars and shocks. The bodies are fiberglass, and the engines are single-cylinder and are manufactured by Honda and Briggs and Stratton. With almost 60 NASCAR youth sanctioned youth series sanctioned clubs located all across the country thousands of kids aged five and up along with their families participate in quarter midget racing some notable NASCAR graduates of quarter midget racing include Jeff Gordon, Joey Logano, Ryan Newman, Alex Bowman, Ryan Blaney, Justin Algauer, Harrison Burton, Justin Haley, Daniel Dye, Todd Gilliland, And uh, there's actually a website where you can learn more, the nascaryouth.com. So uh, really fascinating uh, to see the NASCAR Youth Series uh, highlighted here.
1: Well, and I think that list of uh, notables there could have been a whole lot longer, uh, as I know some that weren't on there but come through that system. So uh, great Mm -hmm. thing they got going on there. Absolutely. Speaking of of great things, the NASCAR Cup Series has produced some great competition this season. The 2023 NASCAR Cup Series regular season, the first 26 races, has produced a plethora of statistical records and proven to be one of the best seasons to date. And we're going to look at some of those uh, superlative stats from the season. The 2023 season has 14 different Cup winners, is tied with 2007, 12, 17, and 21 seasons for the third most winners through the first 26 races of a season in the modern era, which goes from 1972 to the present. The 2003 and 2022 season hold the record for most winners through those 26 races, and that's 16 different winners. The 2023 season also produced an average of 102 Lap leaders per race through these first 26 races of the year is ranked as the seventh most in the 52 years of the modern era. This season it's up 1.5% over last season's 10.0. The 2011 season that holds the record for the most average leaders through Hold on my page jumped. There we go. Um The 2011 season holds the record for the most average leaders through the first 26 races. That year it was at 12.8. This year has a 1.181 second average margin of victory, and that's the seventh closest through the 26 races since the advent of electronic scoring, which came back in 1993. That's a total of 31 seasons. The 2001 season, season holds the series record for the closest average margin of victory through the 26 races and now year it was at .755 uh, seconds this year has also produced 1,247 green flag passes for the lead through the regular season points paying races of the year uh, which is the series most since 2007 that's over the last 17 years This is the second consecutive season that that the series has set a new series high in green flag passes for the lead through the 26 regular season races. In 2023, we have 1,274. In 2022, it was 1,077. A total of 15 of the 26 races, or 57.6% during this year, has produced a positive year-over-year percentage changes. The season has produced one hundred and eight one hundred hundred eight thousand eight hundred seventeen total green flag passes in these first twenty-six points-paying races. And that also is the series most since uh, two thousand seven, since twenty or uh, the last seventeen years. And then it's the second consecutive year again, where they set a record for green flag passes in that same period. In 2023, it was 108,817, and that upped over 2022, where it was 84,807. And total of 21 of the 26 races, or 80.7% this season, have produced a positive year-over-year percentage change in total green flag passes. The three largest positive percentage changes were New Hampshire, which were up 94.3%, Talladega, 87.3%, and the first Daytona race, the 500, at 78.6%. All that saying, we've had some great racing this year.
0: Absolutely correct. Okay, now we're going to do some scouting here of the playoff field. Uh, and kind of give you some details. Uh, Jay, I'll probably need help on this one. Uh, We're going to scout the playoff field at Darlington as they kick off the 20th running of the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs from 2004 to 2023 in the Cookout Southern 500 this weekend. Since the inception of the postseason in 2004, there have been 47 different winners have qualified for the Cup Series playoffs, including... This season, sixteen driver field. Only one driver this season is making his playoff career debut, and that's Bubba Wallace. Veterans Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick are making their Cup Series record seventeenth playoff appearance. That's the most all time. In a total of, t- in total, ten different drivers have won champions since the inception of the playoffs in 2004. This season, seven former Cup Series champions will make the 16-driver playoff field and are active in the playoffs this weekend. Uh, Richard Childress Racing's Kyle Busch from 2015 and 19, and Pinsky's Joey Logano in 2018 and 23 are the only active competitors with multiple Cup Series championships. So uh, Joy Logano and Kyle Bush, we've outlined them. Kyle Larson won in 2021, Chase Elliott in 2020, <coughs> Martin Truex Jr. in 17, Kevin Harvick in 14, and Brad Keselowski in 2012. The other drivers that have won championships, of course, are Jimmy Johnson with seven championships, uh, Tony Stewart with two championships, and Kurt Bush with one. So uh, pretty cool to see seven different drivers on that list that are competing this weekend. A total of 10 different organizations are represented in the uh, playoffs this year, including Hendrick Motorsports, Joe Gibbs Racing, RFK Racing, Richard Childress Racing, Trackhouse Racing, 2311 Racing, Team Penske, Front Row Motorsports, JTD Doherty Racing, and Stewart Haas Racing. I think that could be a record to see that many different teams in the playoffs. All three NASCAR Cup Series official engine manufacturers have qualified for the playoffs as well, led by Ford with six entries, followed by Chevrolet and Toyota with five apiece. Looking ahead to Darlington, eight former winners are entered into the race this weekend. We've kind of covered this uh, with Denny Hamlin with four wins. Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex are the only other playoff drivers this season with multiple wins at Darlington. So, we'll go one by one, let's go bottom up here, and cover those drivers, starting with Bubba Wallace, okay?
1: All right, let me uh, get down there too, I'm uh, driving for number the number 23 for 2311 Racing Toyota. Bubba Wallace is climbing off of Cloud 9 this week after earning that final spot in the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs in the regular season finale at Daytona. But now the Alabama native heads to Darlington Raceway as the number 16 seed with 2,000 points, back eight points from the round of 12 cutoff. And it is his first postseason appearance. Well, Wallace has made 10 starts at Darlington, posting one top five and two top tens. Average finish at Darlington,
0: 20.8. Kevin Harvick in the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford starts the Cup Series playoffs as the number 15 seed at 2004 points. He's back four points from the uh, round of 12 cutoff in his record-setting 17th career postseason appearance, Uh, and that dates from 2006 to the present. Harvick has made 31 series starts at Darlington Raceway, where he's grabbed three wins in team. The first race in 2020, and again in 20, and the third race in 2020. He has 13 top fives and 19 top tens. His average finish at Darlington is 12.4.
1: <clears throat> Moving up next is <clears throat> number, number 47, JTG Daughter Racing Chevrolet. Driver is Ricky Stenhouse, Jr., He will start the NASCAR Cup Series playoffs as a number 14 seed with 2,005 points, three points behind the round of 12 cutoff line. This is his second appearance in the postseason, with this year as well as 2017. Stenhouse has made 15 series starts at Darlington Raceway, putting up one top 10 finish. His average finish at the egg-shaped track, 23.0.
0: Next up, we have Michael McDowell. He's the driver of the number 34 front row motorsports board. He arrives at Darlington as the number 13 seed in the play, uh, Cup Series playoffs with 2,007 points. He's one point back from uh, the driver ahead of him in, 12th, in the 12th and final transfer spot on points to the round of 12. In his second appearance in the Cup Series postseason uh, from 21 and 22, McDowell's made 16 series starts at Darlington. He's put up two top ten finishes, and his average finish at this historic track is 26.4. Well,
1: we've got a pair of the Penske drivers. I'll start with Ryan Blaney in that number 12 Team Penske Ford, and he heads to Darlington Raceway in an important spot as he's the number 12 seed in the playoffs with 2,008 points, just one point up, as mentioned, above the cut line. Now, this is his seventh postseason appearance, uh, going back 22, 21, 20, 19, 18, all the way back to 17. Well, Blaney has made 13 starts at Darlington. He's posted two top 10 finishes. Average finish at this South Carolina
0: track, 17.8. Okay, the next driver we're looking at is Joey Logano, teammate to Ryan Blaney, in that number 22 team Penske Ford, last season's champion, heads to Darlington Raceway as the number 11 seed in the Cup Series playoffs at 2008 points. He's up one point above that round of 12 cutoff. In his 10th postseason appearance, Logano returns to the Lady in Black, having made 19 series starts at Darlington Raceway. He's grabbed two poles, one win last year, six top fives, ten top tens, and his average finish at Darlington is at
1: 13.2. Speaking of teammates, Bubba Wallace has a teammate. The number 45, 23 racing toad is in as well. Tyler Reddick coming into Darlington Raceway is the number 10 seed in the playoffs with 2,009 points. He's up two points to that round of 12 cut line. This is Reddick's third career postseason appearance, running from 2023 back to 2021. Redick has made eight series starts at Darlington Raceway, posting two top fives and three top 10 finishes. Average finish at Darlington, 12.5, getting kind of low.
0: Okay, Brad Keselowski is the first of two RFK racing Fords in the field this w- week. Uh, number He drives the number six for RFK racing. He returns to Darlington as the number nine seed in the Cup Series playoffs at 2010 points. He's up three points on the round of 12 cutoff, and he's in his 11th appearance in the postseason, dating from 2011 to the present. Keselowski's made 19 starts at Darlington Raceway, posting one pole. He had one win in 2018, six top fives, and ten top ten finishes. His average finish at Darlington, again, 11.7. That's third best among the active drivers.
1: Next up is the number eight spot, and that is Ross Chastain, driver the number one for track house racing in the Chevrolet. He starts at 2,011 points, four points to the good of the cut line. Now, he's trying to start a streak. It's his second career postseason appearance from this year and last year. Looking to Darlington, Chastain has made eight series starts at the egg-shaped track, accumulated one top five and one top ten finish. Average finish then lands at 22.8.
0: Okay, from Joe Gibbs Racing is the number seven seed, Christopher Bell, behind the wheel of the number 20 Toyota for Joe Gibbs. He heads to Darlington with 2014 points. He's up seven points on the round of 12 cutoff and in his third postseason appearance dating from 21 to 23. Bell's made eight series starts at Darlington, collecting one top five, two top ten finishes, and his average finish at Darlington is
1: 16.0. Kyle Larson might be the one to watch this weekend and then at number five at Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet. He comes in as the number six seed in the playoffs with 2,017 points. He's up double digits, 10 points above the cut line and he's in his seventh postseason appearance, and I believe that's been consecutive. It has from 16 through 2023. Now, Larson has made 11 series starts at Darlington, posted five top fives and seven top tens. His average finish at the 1.366-mile facility is 10.1, and that's second best among the active drivers.
0: Okay, next up we have Kyle Busch driving the number eight RCR Chevrolet as the number five seed with 2019 points. He's up 12 points on the cut line, and then he's, he's in his 16th postseason uh, appearance, dating back to 2006 to the present. Bush has made 23 series starts at Darlington, posting one win in 2008. He has six top fives and 14 top tens. His average finish at the 1.366 mile track is at 13.4.
1: Well, we knew RFK was improving, but Chris Buescher took it to another level. Driver of the number 17 RFK racing Ford Rolls into Darlington Raceway after winning the regular season finale at Daytona International Speedway. And he comes in with 2,021 points, 14 points above the cut line. In his second postseason appearance, his has been gapped from 2016 to 2023. Busher has made 12 series starts at Darlington, posting three top 10 finishes. Average finish, though, at the track, 17.5.
0: Okay, one driver you definitely want to keep your eye on this weekend is from Joe Gibbs Racing. He'll be behind the wheel of the number 11, Toyota. His name, Denny Hamlin. He heads into Darlington Raceway with 2,025 points. He's up 18 points on the round of 12 cutoff. And his record-setting 17th postseason appearance dating from 2006 to the present. Hamlin's made 22 series starts at Darlington Raceway, putting up one pole, four wins, the series most among active drivers, uh, winning from 2010, 17, 20, and 21. He has 12 top fives and 16 top tens. He has the best average finish at Darlington at 7.7.
1: Well, and we already have one champion this year, and that's Martin Truex Jr., the number 19 Joe Gibbs Racing Toyota, as he comes into Darlington as the regular season champion, just the second driver in series to win multiple regular season championships. He did it in 2017 as well as this year, and Kyle Busch is the other who did it in 2018 and 19. Our Truex enters the playoffs as the number two seed with 2,036 points, and he has 29 points above that cut line. Now, this is his 10th postseason appearance, 7 12, and then he started the streak from 15 through 2023. Now, Truex has made 22 starts at Darlington Raceway. He's put up one pole, two wins coming in 2016 and 2021, four top fives, and 10 top tens. Average finish at the 1.366-mile track, just over that 10 mark at 13.2.
0: Okay, our last driver is William Byron, driving the 24 Hendrick Motorsports Chevrolet, heading to Darlington as the number one seed with 2,036 points. He's actually tied with... uh, Martin Truex Jr. He's up 29 points on the cut line and he's in his fifth consecutive appearance in the postseason, dating from 2019 to the present. Byron is currently tied in points with Martin Truex Jr., but he owns the number one speed due to the tiebreaker of most wins. <clears throat> Byron has made 10 Cup Series starts at Darlington Raceway, where he has one pole, one win this year, earlier this year three top fives, four top tens, and his average finish at the track is at (laughs) 16.8. Excuse me. If Byron were to win this weekend, he would become the 14th different driver in Cup Series to post consecutive wins. Give me a minute here. Dale Earnhardt had consecutive wins between eighty nine and ninety and Jeff Gordon from ninety five to ninety six. Those three drivers are tied for the series most consecutive wins at Darlington with three apiece. So uh a lot to look forward to here with these drivers. Uh <clears throat> And uh, we've talked about the four drivers that are below the cut line, McDowell, Stenhouse, Jr., and Kevin Harvick. Uh, The four drivers that are on the bubble for the round of 12. uh, I'm sorry, going into the round of 12 uh, and heading into the round of eight are Brad Keselowski, Tyler Reddick, Joey Logano, and Ryan Blaney. The drivers above, uh, for the round of eight include William Byron, Truex Jr., Hamlin, Busher, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, Ross Tastain, uh are all above that cut line for the round of eight. So a lot to look forward to with this round, this first round, the round of 16.
1: There is, and we're gonna, I'm going to give a quick uh, rundown here on the NASCAR <coughs> Cup Series playoffs. As the format, as it competed over the final ten races, includes sixteen drivers and four rounds: the round of sixteen, which we're starting; the round of twelve; the round of eight; and the championship four. Now, victory in the first twenty-six races guaranteed a berth, all but guarantees a berth into that ten-race playoffs. The number of drivers in com- contention for the championship now will decrease every three playoff races, and we should go from sixteen. To start down to 12th after race or 12 after race number three, eight after race number six, and then the final four after race number nine. The first three races, uh, 27 races number 27 through 29 is known as the round of 16. Races 30 through 32 as the round of 12, 33 through 35 will be the round of eight, and then no, number 36 is that championship four round. A win by a championship-eligible driver in any playoff race automatically clinches the winning driver spot into that next playoff round. And four drivers will enter that championship race with a chance at the title, the highest finishing among those four, capturing the prestigious NASCAR Cup Series championship. When we talk about eligibility for the playoffs, the top 15 drivers with most wins over the first 26 races earn their spot in the playoffs, provided they have attempted to qualify for every race, except in rare instances approved by NASCAR. That 16th playoff position will go to the points leader after number 20, race number 26, if that driver does not have a victory. In the event that there are 16 or more different winners over 26 races, the only winless driver who can earn a playoff spot would be that points leader after 26 races. Then if there's fewer than 16 different winners, In the first 26 races, the playoff remaining positions would go to those winless drivers highest in points. If there's more than 16 winners, then the ties will be first broken by number of wins, followed by points. Prior to the start of the playoffs, the drivers have their points adjusted to 2,000, as we did with all playoff points being added to their total. Those playoff points will stay with the driver as long as he or she remains in the playoffs, except for the championship four round. The rest of the structure, uh, real quick, we talked about the round of 16. That's going to be Darlington, Kansas, and Bristol. driver wins, uh, they automatically advance to that round of 12, and then the remaining positions, one through 12, that have not been filled based upon wins will be based upon points. Drivers will then have their points reset to 3,000, any playoff points added in. Round of 12, the second round, that's Texas, Talladega, and the Charlotte Road Course. Again, driver now in the top 12 wins a race. They advance. And remaining spots one through eight that have not been filled based on wins, they'll advance based on their points. And we get a reset to 4,000 points with any playoff points awarded. Round of eight, the third round, that is Las Vegas, Homestead, Miami, and Martinsville. Now, if you're in the top eight, pick up a victory, you automatically advance, advance to the championship four. The remaining positions, which would be possibly one through four, I guess, be filled upon not filled upon wins would be based on points. Uh, each driver then have their points reset to 5,000. But that's really uh, immaterial, as, again, it's how you finish in that final race. Now, additionally, any drivers who were eliminated in the round of 16, 12, or 8 – at this point would have their points readjusted back, and each eliminated driver would be put back to the restart base of 2,000 with their playoff points and any accumulated points with race number 27 added. This allows drivers not in contention for the title to continue for the racing for the best possible season longstanding up to 5th. So 5th through 16th would still be up for grabs. The championship finale, that's pretty simple. The 36th final race of the season, the championship four at Phoenix Raceway. Simply stated, the highest finisher in the race among the four eligible drivers wins the uh, Cup Series title. Uh, playoff points for stage wins will not apply in this season uh, finale. So a finish official finishing position alone is what decides that champion. And all rules outlined above also apply to the ownership, uh, owner championship structure.
0: Okay, historically, Iconic Darlington Raceway is a challenge uh, for competitors. It's the perfect stage for the 23 playoff opener, and uh, will take place this weekend. It's an egg-shaped paved oval at 1.366 mile, and it's hosted 124 Cup Series races dating back to 1950, so it has a rich tradition of history and has become one of the most iconic tracks on the schedule. Originally, the raceway was built at a 1.5-mile paved super from 49 to 50 and hosted the first 500-mile race in NASCAR history and the first on asphalt on September 4, 1950, a total of 75 cars competed in that inaugural event with Curtis Turner winning the pole at 82.34 miles per hour. And the race was won by Jimmy Mance in the Plymouth at 75.250 miles per hour. The race took six hours, 38 minutes, and 40 seconds to complete. This weekend's race will be exactly 73 years since that inaugural event held in 1950. Since then, Darlington has undergone some changes through the years. In 1953, the track was remeasured to 1.375 miles. Then in 1970, it was reconfigured to the 1.366 miles following the spring race of that season. The track was repaved in 95, then again prior to the 2008 season. And over the years, that historic facility has become known amongst its competitors as the track too tough to tame. In total, 124 Cup Series races has produced 53 different pole winners and 53 different race winners. NASCAR Hall of Famer David Pearson leads the series in polls at Darlington with 12. Uh, and it goes from 1967 through 1982. Pearson's 12 Darlington poles are tied with NASCAR Hall of Famer Cale Yarborough, also with 12 poles at Daytona, for the second most poles all time at a single track in the Cup Series. Pearson also holds the Cup Series record for the most poles at a single track with 14 poles at Charlotte Motor Speedway. A total of six of the fifty three cup series uh poll winners at Darlington are active this weekend. That includes Joy Logano with two along with Kevin Harvick. Martin Truex, William Byron, and Denny Hamlin all have one. As far as winners, there are uh several active this weekend. Denny Hamlin has four wins. Harvick with two three. Eric Jones and Martin Truex each have two wins. William Byron, Joy Logano, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch all have one. We're at the top of the hour. That means it's time for our NASCAR hot topic sound off. So I'm going to switch gears here, and we do have uh, one person here. I believe it is Mike Orzel. Welcome to the show, Mike. You,
2: you believe correctly. Hey, oh, Good afternoon, morning, evening. Whatever time you're listening, it's a podcast. Let's go.
0: Okay. Well, we're still waiting for Andy. Andy's also going to join us today. Unfortunately, Brian's not available, but he said he'll probably be available next week uh, without a doubt. Okay. So let's, Mike, since you're here, let, why don't you kick us off with the first hot topic?
2: Well, you guys talked a lot about the playoff format and how the points reset and all that. So, let's talk about the penalty that Ty Majeski and the number 98 Four Sport team got yesterday. Uh remember they had a right rear tire confiscated during tech for the Milwaukee Mile race this past weekend, and yesterday it was announced that the team has been fined 75 driver points plus 5 playoff points as well as, I believe, a $25,000 penalty uh, fine to the crew chief on that team. So what are the thoughts on this penalty?
0: Because there's a lot of interesting little implications here. Okay. Andy's not here yet. So, Jay, why don't you uh, start us off with your thoughts?
1: Well, as I put up in the group chat, it was pointed out that the penalty actually for a level two penalty in the scope of what NASCAR can issue was all on the low end. Uh, So although it was a penalty, uh, it was not of a high infraction based on NASCAR's opinion. With that, I think part of this, when it comes to the playoffs, NASCAR may have to look at how they issued penalties in the playoffs. The 75-point deduction right now does not really impact the, uh, the team. Uh, T- time Majeski had already advanced Won a race at uh, IRP Or L-O-R-I-P um, And had locked himself into the next round So the points really don't matter The five playoff points does Because that's something you carry over from Round to round if you advance However, if he ends up Not advancing in a round And gets put back in that bucket of drivers That are all competing for Fifth on back then that point deduction becomes a factor. Um, so right now, the five playoff points, yeah, that's pretty huge, especially when it does come to these, this round. Uh, a short round and, and the playoff points help give you a cushion, so if you have a bad race, you're you're still uh, not out of it. Um, but overall, I thought it was kind of a, I don't want to say weak penalty, but... Uh, like I said, they they issued everything they issued was on the absolute low end of what they could issue. And it really, at this point, didn't have an impact. So uh, I think it was a point of, they know something was wrong or they found something wrong clearly, um, but they didn't find it extremely detrimental to <laughs> or advanta- advantageous. I don't know how to say it, but again, they issued on the low end and the, the, penalty itself really doesn't have a huge impact yet at this point anyway, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I I would agree with everything that Jay said there. I I really think it was a minimal penalty uh, given the circumstances. So it tells me that what they found obviously wasn't huge, but still worthy of a penalty. I think it's more of a warning uh, to all of the other drivers not to mess around uh, but it, it could also send the message that you're not going to get hurt all that badly if you do get caught with a penalty. So that concerns me a little bit. Um, you're right. The implications really come if he gets eliminated. Uh, I think the other part of this is that um, um, I had a point. Now I forgot it. The other part of it is that, I don't think Ty Majewski has been caught with penalties or his team hasn't been caught uh, with a whole lot of penalties, so that might contribute to uh, the the lower end of the scale being used here. Uh, but I, I do think that NASCAR needs to look at that and maybe come up with a different plan for how they penalize during the playoff. Um Andy's still not here, so I guess we'll go to you, Mike, with your thoughts.
2: It really kind of highlights, like you said, a bit of an issue with how points and penalties are assessed during the playoffs, because if you look at the, at the, the penalty up front, it's a 75 point penalty. That's a pretty big penalty during the regular season. Uh, we talk about 10, 15, 25 points. is kind of more than normal for stuff. You know, I think Denny Hamlin was fined 25 or a uh, 25 points for intentionally wrecking Ross Chastain at Phoenix. Right. So 75 points is a pretty big deal unless you're already in the playoffs and sitting on a win that you've already got. Because now, like you guys said, that 75 points, which is a big deal any time other than the playoffs, is now nothing. And a five-point playoff point penalty, it's not nothing. But then again, it's not huge. It basically just canceled out his win at IRP is really all it did from a point standpoint. He still gets to keep the win, and it still counts towards eligibility – but he just loses the five playoff points from there, which I don't know. I, I would, if they're going to come down and drop a 75-point penalty on somebody, it implies it's kind of a big deal. So if they're going to do that, they need to figure out a way to tailor it that it's more painful for the playoffs. Because right now this is not a very painful playoff penalty for somebody who is already in the playoffs and already sitting on a win. If he wasn't sitting on a win already, it would put him in a must-win situation. But it's not like it was any kind of a secret. NASCAR knew that he had a win, and per the rules, he was already eligible to advance, so any sort of regular season points total penalty would have been somewhat irrelevant for that team. So if they really wanted to hit them and really wanted to send the message of what you're doing is not cool, they need to either have a higher playoff point penalty or remove that IRP win from eligibility. That's a bit of a sticky situation though because he wasn't penalized at IRP, he was penalized at Milwaukee. So the win at IRP would have been clean. Taking that away from him, that would have been getting into some kind of a gray area right there of do you penalize previous legal performance for something that somebody has done in the you know at, at a time a later time. I don't know. That's that's kind of getting into a gray area there. But Right now, a five-playoff point penalty for Ty Majewski, and then if he gets eliminated losing those 75 points trying to race for up up to fifth place in the regular season standings, it feels a little toothless.
0: Okay, Jay, your follow-up?
1: Well, and that goes as to what NASCAR wants to take a stance. I understand what Mike's saying, but that's true throughout any point of the season. If you're penalized at a particular race, How does NASCAR not know that you've already done this and it just didn't get caught? And that's not to say they had, but it's possible that it just didn't get noticed. So uh, if they really want to take the stance of we're not going to tolerate cheating uh, or infractions of the rules, sorry, put it this way, infractions of the rules, and they really want to send that message, I, I had the same thought as what Mike had there is you take away their eligibility. Uh, leave them at, the, you don't even necessarily then have to take the points, although you could, I'm not saying you shouldn't, but if you take away that win or their eligibility uh, for that next round, you are no longer locked in and now you only have one race. Where you're at in points, again, depending on if they take any additional points, puts you into a must win your next race situation. Um, being that it is the playoffs and a uh, Sharon, I know you're a, a favorite of this. You don't want to see somebody that's even had questionable things throughout the year at any point, um, being, being your, sorry, champion. Um, I mean, that's the way to eliminate it. You know, I, and I understand it sounds harsh, but that's the way it is. If you really want to send the message of stop doing this, you got to make it worth something.
0: Okay. Uh, I just heard from Andy. He's dealing with a couple things, so he'll be here shortly. But, um, yeah, I agree with you. I don't like seeing uh, someone who's been caught, a team that has been caught cheating, go on and win a championship. And now part of the penalty that I don't think we've mentioned here yet is that the crew chief was fined $25,000 and is suspended for the next four points paying races so uh, his crew chief won't be on top of the pit box but again we found that to be kind of toothless as well because even though they're not on the pit box uh, they are still in communication with their team and I wish NASCAR would do away with that or tell them that they cannot have any communication Um, they have to be sequestered or whatever during the race Um, kind of in a penalty box if you will Uh, I don't think uh, this was a very toothy um, uh, uh, penalty for Ty Majesty. I think he should be eliminated uh, because you don't know, as as Jay pointed out, you don't know if he had the same infraction, the race that he won that put him into the playoffs. And if that was the case, then he shouldn't be advancing to the next round unless he's able to get a win. Now, uh, again, it all goes back to if your team has been caught uh, with infractions throughout the season or during the playoffs, I don't think you should be eligible for the playoffs, period. Uh, and I know that's that's a harsh uh, way to look at it, but I think that would eliminate a lot of the push in the envelope uh, uh, beyond the limits that NASCAR has established. So I... I I like Ty Majeski He's from Wisconsin. Uh, he's always been a straight-up kind of guy. I, I would hate it for him, but it, it's a team sport, and if your team is caught doing things that they shouldn't be doing, uh, then that team should not be eligible to win a title, and and that's just the way I look at it. Uh, now, before we go to Mike, Andy is here. Uh, Andy, we're talking about the Ty Majewski penalty And I want to get your thoughts before we go to Mike to kind of end this one. So you're not going to uh, uh, follow up unless – well, maybe I'll let you go again after Mike. But uh, what are your thoughts about this penalty?
3: Well, first off, nice to be on. Sorry for the delay. had to take care of a couple things. But um, I really tend to agree with with what I heard you saying there, Sharon. It really – You know, it's a non-penalty almost. I mean, obviously, they got to find some points and money in a crew chief suspension. But, you know, how much of a penalty is this, really? Because he's already locked into the next round. And, you know, all they have to do is just, you know, basically keep doing what they've been doing. And if they win a race in the next round, they go to the championship four. And it's almost like it never happened. So, you know, maybe, you know, it it, it kind of pains me to say this a bit because, you know, Majewski's is the one that I pull for the truck series. But, you know, I'll just say this from a neutral standpoint, looking at it from everybody. It's like, if you, if you're found cheating or you're found screwing up and you're a playoff driver, then yeah, I I agree with you, Sharon, take them out, eliminate them, be done with it, you know, make, make it hurt where it counts. And it wouldn't matter who this is, you know Um, you gotta, you gotta make it. So, you know, teams will think twice about doing this in the future. I, I hate to see these penalties because, you know, it really taints from, it really taints from what the, the, you know, the rest of the season's been like, you know, it's possible that, you know, they've been doing it for other races. It's also possible that they got caught doing it at Milwaukee exclusively, and people are now going to look at the IRP win as tainted. People would also probably look at him winning a championship as as being a bit tainted. So it's almost like this penalty detracts from, you know, them having what has been a good season. So I think that you got to, you got to make these rules and penalties stiff enough where it deters people from doing it. And we saw this earlier in the year, you know, a couple of times with SHR and the Trinity and the cup series. It's like, you gotta, you've gotta, you got to make it hurt where it counts. And, and you got to make these teams think twice about bending the rules and maybe we'll see these penalties become less and less.
0: Mike, I think we're pretty much all in agreement with that, right? Yeah,
2: yeah I think so. It really comes down to messaging here, right? If this was just during the regular season, we would all be talking about, wow, this is a huge penalty, 75 points, NASCAR's not messing around, this is a big deal, they really don't want them doing whatever it is they were doing. Assuming that it was a tire issue, which that's one of the, the holy trinity, right, fuel, t- fuel tires and, uh, and gasoline um, and engine, they don't want you messing with that, those three things. So if the number 98 team did indeed mess with the tires, that would merit a 75-point penalty. But realistically, they didn't get a 75-point penalty, now did they? They only got a five-point penalty, which is kind of a nothing burger. When you're already going to advance, you're already going to be still eligible for the championship. So if NASCAR wants to send a deterrent message, they need to figure out a better way or a different way to do it. I'm not sure what it is. Maybe increase the playoff point penalties from there. Um, or you'd have to end up just rewriting the rule book of, we're just going to blanket remove eligibility from you, and you're no longer in the playoffs. That's a bit of a sticky situation that that almost kind of comes into the 2013. We're just going to add Jeff Gordon to the playoffs kind of territory. I don't know if we want to go all the way down that road of just blanket making things up like that, but that's kind of the road that NASCAR needs to go down if they really want to explore deterrent options for the playoffs that really put some teeth behind it.
0: Absolutely, uh, Andy, you get a follow follow up here.
3: Yeah, not a whole lot to add really from what I said the first time through, but I, I just think to reiterate that you've gotta you gotta make it be you know, you've gotta make it be stiff, you gotta make it be a difficult penalty, you gotta make it to where these guys can't keep doing this stuff. Um you know, and then we'll see this become less and less of a thing. I think we all hate to see these kinds of penalties. It's um certainly not the best news, but um gotta make it hurt. And and unfortunately in this case the 98 team, I, I don't really see the penalty here. I feel like they, they pretty much didn't get one. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens moving forward, I guess. But I, I think that they got to make these rules and, and penalties a bit stiffer.
0: Yeah, especially during the playoffs. It's got to be a different uh, version of, of rules when they go into the playoffs. Okay, Jay, let's uh, go to the next top topic. Well, this is a tough
1: one. I know he's a fan favorite, uh, and we don't know anything other than where he's not going to be next year. But Matt Benedetto, still in the playoffs for the Truck Series, is not
0: going to be returning
1: to that Rackley War number 25 next year.
0: Okay. Andy, your thoughts about Matt Benedetto?
1: This
3: is kind of odd timing, in my opinion, because they are in the thick of the playoffs, you know, and for them to come out with this announcement, You know, you have to wonder what that will do for them going forward in the playoffs. But um, my question would be, where's Matt going to go? You know, he found a home with this truck team that embraced him. And for whatever reason, they've decided to go their separate ways. Um, From what I read, it was a mutual decision. Um, You know, you have to wonder, does Matt have something lined up or not? Um, People keep saying... The Colleague 31 Cup car, I strongly don't believe that. I don't think that – I don't see that happening at all. And the reason for that is Matt doesn't really have funding behind him unless he's found some. Um, From what I've seen, Colleague is is trying to put somebody in the car that can bring funding. Um, So I, I really don't see that happening at all. So where he goes from here is anyone's guess you have to wonder if he doesn't have something lined up though, and they're just not ready to announce it because um, in the press release, it said that he didn't have any plans for next year and is exploring all opportunities in in all three series. But um, I don't know. It just, it just the timing of it seems interesting and, it seems that they don't really know what they're going to do next year. So I I don't know. It just seems like like a perplexing situation to me. I think Matt did a lot for that team, elevated their performance. Um, You know, they didn't really contend to win that often, but they certainly improved greatly from where they were prior to him signing with that team. So I just felt like he found a home there. So for that to come to an end after a couple of years is, is just perplexing to me. But um, you know, Matt's a talented driver. I, guess he'll find land on his feet somewhere but at this point i just don't see a competitive situation
2: coming to fruition at least right now
0: okay mike your thoughts
2: i don't believe for a second that he doesn't have any 2024 plans i know he put it in the press release and i'm i'm not going to call the man a liar but i don't think that he is just he just walked away into the abyss without having something lined up for 2024 obviously we don't know what it is yet uh, I kind of do think he might end up in the Colleague 31. Remember, Chris Wright says they have a driver for it, but they're not ready to announce yet. And, quote, unquote, it would be surprising. Well, I would say Matt Benedetto would fall into the surprising territory. I don't think there would be a lot of surprise if Noel Gregson ended up in that car or somebody from the Xfinity series. But I think Matt Benedetto ending up in that 31 car would be a surprise. Now, Andy did bring up that he doesn't bring funding to the table. Matt Colleague has seemed like he, he has no problem putting lease filter on the cars in order to get them ready to go and, and on the racetrack. Maybe they're trying to get away with it, kind of like uh, furniture row racing. They were trying to get outside sponsors because Barney Visser was tired of putting furniture row on the side of the cars and, and basically sponsoring it out of his pocket. Maybe Matt colleague is having the same kind of thing, which is why they let Justin Haley go, because he didn't have enough sp- sponsorship. If that's the case, the prospects don't look as good for Matt Benedetto unless – Matt has come up with some sort of sponsorship deal that we don't know about yet. And he's bringing that to the table with the number 31 car. We'll have to wait and see. Um, as far as other opportunities, well, there's always the Xfinity Series as well. Colleague Racing included in the Xfinity Series. Um, he could end up going uh, – if, if, for example, Daniel Hemrick or Chandler Smith move up to the Cup Series, I don't know if they're ready yet or not, but if either one of those move up to the Cup Series, well, there's a potential opportunity for Matt Benedetto as well. Uh, Joe Gibbs Racing, but then again, there's a sponsorship issue. I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what's going on here. But like I said, I don't believe for a second that he doesn't at least have a tentative agreement with somebody to drive for them.
0: Yeah, I um, I think it's interesting that they announced it at this particular point in the game, especially with him going into the playoffs, although he is kind of on the bottom end of the playoff contenders but i will say this i don't think that matt wants to stay in the truck series i think matt's looking to progress his career and i think he's probably looking for something in the xfinity series uh colleague is certainly one of those options but i think there's other options that uh he could consider too and one that kind of comes to my mind, and correct me if I'm wrong, has Josh Berry's seat been filled yet at uh, Junior Motorsports? Um, I know uh, Dale Earnhardt is one of those drivers that has kind of helped Matt Benedetto's career along over the years, along with Denny Hamlin when he's Lacked funding. They've kind of stepped up and kind of given him the funding he needs uh, to keep racing. So I could see Dale Earnhardt Jr. being one of the drivers that are kind of stepping up at this point uh, to help out Matt Benedetto and give him a ride in a junior motorsports uh, vehicle in the Xfinity Series. I don't see him going to the Cup Series. Um, I I do think that if he's going to move forward, he wants to move forward with a team where he can contend for a championship. He's not contending for the championship in the truck series. I think if he were to go to Junior Motorsports um, as one of the possibilities he has in front of him, uh, I think that he would have a better chance at contending for that championship. Uh, And it certainly would be, uh, one of those do-or-die kind of situations for Matt DiBenedetto. Um, he made the playoffs in the Truck Series. Uh, if he moves to the Xfinity Series, I think it's time for him to actually contend for a championship and win races. So I think this would be the last stitch effort for Matt DiBenedetto uh, if he were to be able to get a ride, either a colleague or junior motorsports. Jay, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, my thoughts were that we were friends, Sharon, but friends don't steal from friends. And, yeah, you stole what I was going to go, of the possibility <laughs> of junior, junior motorsports. Uh, I'm with Mike. I, I wouldn't say that when he said he didn't have anything planned, that might be official. Uh, we've seen him do this in the past, gamble on himself. He knows there are some rides out there that are open. Uh, there's a couple other Xfinity Series teams that we've seen growing, Uh AM Racing and Alpha, uh, Alpha Prime are two of them. I know they got some of their driver spots filled, but there are some opportunities out there. Um, so it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I'm with you. The timing of this, uh, you know, and we've seen what he's done with that Rackley War Racing, elevated that program, got him into the playoffs. But as you've said, they're not necessarily contending for the wins and the championship week in and week out for the wins, thus the championship. And I know there was some frustration uh, as far as the trucks they had brought, I think, in these first couple races of the opening round of the playoffs. I don't know if that's what factored in. You know, there aren't a whole lot of details as to why. It's just that they both agreed, mutually agreed, they were separated. I do find it ironic that Colleg Racing said they had a driver but weren't ready to announce it yet. Well, all of a sudden we get an announcement that somebody's leaving the team we didn't expect. So that's kind of where it leads me to, but as everybody's kind of mentioned, I think sponsorship, and it's not that he doesn't bring sponsorship. There are just none that necessarily are guaranteed to follow big money sponsors. Uh, you look at Eric Almoro and Smithfield. I mean, they were paired at the hip. Matt Edetto, once he's put in a position, can draw attention and draw sponsors. It's just he doesn't carry one with him in his back pocket. Um, And I think that was is something that when you look at college racing, he can add to what they are doing. Same with junior motorsports; they have some. He may be able to draw a couple new in. So I don't think that's outside the realm that he doesn't have any sponsorship, just not one big one that's in his back pocket.
0: Andy, your call.
3: I think that. You know, looking at what Matt could do going next year, I think that you bring up everyone's brought up some good points about what he could do. Um and I look to the Xfinity series as, you know, a way for him to resurrect his career, if you will. You know, if he could get into a, a Gibbs car or a JR motorsports car, um, he'd win races. I mean, he has the talent and we've seen him have the talent to to, you know, contend and run well given the right situation. And so if he could get into a top Xfinity ride, I think he could win and he could contend and and maybe make that as a means to get back to the cup series. So um, I think he's got to be a little careful about what he does as far as his next career move, Um, you know, because obviously he got a top opportunity in the Wood brothers 21. They released him in favor of somebody that brought funding. So, You know, obviously he had to go back to the truck series in an underfunded effort for a couple of years. So I I hope that whatever he does next, it's a calculated move and it's with a good opportunity that will allow him to flourish because that would be a good way for him to, to regain footing and maybe get back to the cup series one day. He's a talented driver. I think that he would bring a lot to an organization you, you know, you look at JR Motorsports outside of Justin Allgaier, the rest of the team. Well, I guess Sam—that's that, not true. Sam Mayer's done pretty well as of late, but that's a team that could probably, you know, be benefited from veteran experience in say the eight car next year, along with the younger drivers like Sam Mayer and some others. You know, so um, I I really think that if he could get in a top tier opportunity, it would it would bode well for him remaining in the sport for for many years more to come.
0: Mike, your follow-up?
2: Well, you've all brought up some really interesting opportunities. I hadn't thought about the JRM 8 car, but, yeah, that's that's definitely a, a possibility as well, because you're right, there has been no announcement about what that 8 car is going to be doing next year or whether that car is even going to exist next year. They they could very well just park it, so we can't assume that just because that car is on the racetrack this year that it's automatically an open ride for somebody to plug into. Um We'll have to wait and see what uh, what Dale Jr. decides to do with that eight car, whether to uh, to race it or to park it or to put Magic Benedetto in it. It may be uh, something like that. Who knows? We'll find out here, probably not for a while. Uh, The other thing that may be factoring into why Matt suddenly decided to leave Rackley has to do with the announcement, I think it was last week, that GMS was shutting down the truck series operation. Uh, Rackley War did get their trucks from GMS manufacturing, so it is possible that Matt has decided to leave that team because he knows that Basically, the rug just got pulled out from underneath them. They were just starting to get relevant and do well. And a large part due to the skill the, the that Matt has brought to the table, he's really kind of single-handedly made that team relevant. But with losing GMS, it really feels like the rug's getting pulled out from under that team. That may have played into Matt's decision to leave as well. Um, we'll have to, to, to see what, uh, what comes of this. Uh, I'm pretty confident Matt knows, and I'm pretty confident there's a team owner or two out there who who knows. Um, we're just going to have to wait until we get to know about it.
0: Absolutely. There are some unknowns here, and uh, that makes it hard for us to speculate with those unknowns. Uh, we're giving our best guesses of what we think might happen, uh, but it is all speculation. We won't know until they actually make an official announcement. Uh But you bring up a good point, Mike. That could very well be playing into why the announcement came when it did. Uh Matt reacting very quickly to the announcement from GMS that they are no longer uh, going to be in business for next season, and Matt's decided it's time for him to move on. Um, so we'll wait and see what happens. Um, there are a lot of options out there, and I'm like you, Jay, Uh, or Andy, whichever one said this, uh, I do think that he needs to be smart about the next decision he makes, and he needs to get into a position that he can actually contend and get wins. Um, So I think uh, either one, Colleague Racing or JRM, uh, those are both good options for him as far as I'm concerned. Uh, But there might be some other good options out there as well. Uh, I just want to see him in this move, make a move that's going to help him contend for wins. And sponsorship is a big part of that. So he needs to go to a team that can kind of help him with that sponsorship uh, part of it. Jay, you get the final word here. Well, I, I, I got to do it. I
1: got to get on board and, and compliment Mike. The tie back to GMS racing with that team um could really be a huge factor in a lot of things. I know we kind of touched on it, their fabrication that they were also shutting down affects a lot of the truck series teams. Um, So that may be part of that decision. When I look at Matt DiBenedetto, though, and and go back to the Wood Brothers, uh, any team he's driven with, I compare him to Kurt Busch. When he goes to an organization, he makes it better. So when you're talking about a team like Colleg Racing or Junior Motorsports or Alpha Prime, AMR racing, one of these, they know that he can bring that talent in. And I'll throw one out there. Sharon said uh, our best guess or whatever. This one's going to be kind of a wild one, but what about Stuart Haas racing? We've heard a lot of different things about them, whether or not they're even going to have two to four teams, whether Eric Elmirola is leaving or not. Um, that is one, though, that I could see Smithfield saying, hey, we'll stay around. If Eric Morola leaves, we'll stay around and get behind Matt Benedetto." Um, you know, they've been a sponsor that has been very committed to a driver. That driver is ready to retire, has already announced it once, but came back and is now in the discussion again. So maybe Smithfield stays and it becomes Matt DeBenedetto and Smithfield paired up. Um, just a wild, a really wild thought there. Uh, I'll say that, but I I'm like, you guys, uh, he may not have anything locked down, but I think he's got a pretty good idea and comfort level. Of that he will get into something where he knows, like you said, improve and have shots at really winning and contending.
0: Yeah, uh, Tony Stewart's another one of those drivers that has helped supported uh, Matt Benedetto on a number of occasions. So certainly another possibility. Okay, let's move on to the next topic, Andy. What you got? All
3: right, going into the playoffs, Joe Gibbs Racing has elected to swap the pit crews of the 54 and the 20, with the 54's elimination, obviously putting uh, their resources into a playoff car in Christopher
2: Bell.
0: Okay. Uh, Mike, the crew chief swap like with JGR.
2: Yeah, I feel like we just had this discussion on Monday, didn't we, with the, the Team Penske crew chief swap. Um, this one makes <laughs> a little bit more direct sense, because Ty Gibbs' pit crew um, quantifiably were the best pit crew on pit road. The number 54 team uh, consistently and regularly had the very best performance on pit road of every single team in the NASCAR Cup Series. So it makes absolute sense to, to swap them up. Ty Gibbs, unfortunately for them, did not make the playoffs. He came close. He's had a phenomenal rookie season, so I want to give a lot of credit to Ty Gibbs and that number 54 team. They've done extremely well for a rookie season, but at the end of the day, he didn't quite make the cut. So Christopher Bell did by virtue of his win earlier in the year. So swapping the very, very best pit crew in the NASCAR Cup Series from a team that cannot win the championship to a team that can, it's a no-brainer for Joe Gibbs Racing, and I don't see why they wouldn't make a move like that. Is it going to benefit Christopher Bell? Well, we would assume so, but we're just going to have to wait and see how that plays out.
0: Jay, your thoughts?
1: Well, Mike, just use my exact phrase there, no-brainer. Uh, unfortunate, like you said, Ty Gibbs did not make it, but he's carrying what has been realistically determined throughout the year, the best pick group. Joe Gibbs Racing has three teams from that organization in the playoffs. Martin Truex is your regular season champion. Denny Hamlin uh, right there in competitive with him. Christopher Bell, the one that's a little slacking, so put it with that number 20 team best for the organization and their three chances at the championship. Uh, you know, I mean, now on a, we talk about different decisions and whatnot we wouldn't be able to make in, in racing. Uh, this is one anybody could make. You know, put your best effort forward. Put your best players on the field when it's playoff time. It just clearly makes sense.
0: Yeah, I agree. It, it does make sense. That at, at one point I was kind of thinking, well, why wouldn't they put it with um, Martin Truex or or with Denny Hamlin, uh, especially Denny Hamlin. Ha- well, they both have had some pit crew mishaps on pit road. So, uh, But you're right. They both have – they're up there in the series point standing, so they already have shown that they've got a good chance of being part of the final four. This gives them a chance to have three drivers in that final four. So that's why they would put it with uh, Christopher Bell. So, Yeah. Uh, I you guys make sense on that um uh I can I was kind of sitting around the round table w- when they made this decision and I could see both Martin Truex or Denny Hamlin kind of uh campaigning for that pit crew <laughs> to come to their teams uh but I can see where Joe Gibbs made the decision so again no brainer uh seems to be the headline here Andy
3: yeah, it's a, it's a business decision, right? These teams are in the business to win races and championships, and sometimes you have to make difficult decisions in the best interest of the team, and that's exactly what this was. Um, I will say that, you know, I, I kind of feel bad for the 20-pit crew who is responsible for helping put Christopher Bell into the playoffs, and now yeah. they don't get the race for a championship. So I think that that part of it is, is tough but at the same time it's a business decision so you can understand why they would do it obviously um joe gibbs has three of their four cars eligible to win a championship and you've got to put forth your best resources to the championship eligible, eligible cars you know in order for them to to have that best chance to win so i i totally understand why they did it um, and, and to Mike's point, the 54 crew has been absurdly good on the, uh, on the, on pit road this year. So you can see why it happened. And, you know, I think I, I would have to think everyone understands that whether they agree with it or not, it, it's a very easy decision to understand why it took place.
0: Okay, Mike, your follow-up.
2: It's going to be kind of, uh, interesting because we talk about the, the dynamic, the team dynamic and the, uh cohesion and all that stuff right so remember last year and we talked about this on monday the crew that was christopher bell's crew this year um up to this coming weekend was bubba wallace's crew over at 2311 for the the number 23 car and there was a lot of debate and hurt feelings and whatever about how that crew performed on the number 23 when they were working with bubba wallace so about this time last year, Joe Gibbs Racing made the move to swap the pit crews between the number 23 of 2311 and the number 20 of Christopher Bell at Joe Gibbs Racing. And both teams benefited a lot. Christopher Bell at that point had a great pit crew who had performed very well, and those one, those guys went over to the number 23 car at uh, 2311, and then Christopher Bell got the underperforming number 23 team. And they did – both teams did much better. So – is the move to have a uh, a different pit crew, is it really going to be a net gain? We don't know. You know. There's some chemistry and some intangibles afoot that maybe just because that team performed extremely well with Ty Gibbs – Something might not fit right We can't expect the exact same performance With Christopher Bell Now we are talking about professionals At the very top level of, of the sport here So not to take anything away from the performance Of what is now the number 20 team I don't expect them to falter But we should not automatically assume That now Christopher Bell is going to have The absolute very best pit crew on pit road Just because those guys have been the best crew As they've been working with the number 54 car So keep an eye on it Definitely something interesting to see And it really should shows the team nature of the sport here
1: okay jay your follow-up i really don't have any follow-up uh you know i guess andy brought up a point and that's one of those two of when mike talked about last year's swap that the number the crew that was with the number 20 goes over to the number 54 uh, they got two roads they they can come apart and be like oh we we're not wanted we're not going to do anything anymore or they can become the best pit crew then and say, hey, we'll show you, we'll take a 54-2 victory lane or something. So, um, But as Mike said, they're all professionals, and they know they're part of an organization. Yes, they work for this particular team, but we've seen that in years past too, Of whether it be one person, a tire changer. You know, Then you're talking more of a dynamic. If they're moving the whole crew as a whole, I don't see a whole lot of slack. It's not like it's a different style of car. Yes, the crew chief calling out the shots, a little bit different, but as a whole, the crew is still the same versus changing one or two players. But I also see then, like Mike alluded to, of that crew from the 20 goes over to the 54 and says, all right, we're going to get the 54 into victory lane and show them. But they all know they're part of Joe Gibbs Racing.
0: Yep, it's uh, time always has a way of telling the rest of the story, so uh, we'll see how it all plays out during the playoffs this season and uh, see how that all works out. Andy, what's your final word here? Yeah, I think,
3: you know, Jay brought up a really good point. You know, where the pit crew goes from here obviously is up to them, and, you know, maybe this, this change is motivation for them to only get stronger. So we'll see what happens, but, um, yeah, obviously a – a business decision to try to, you know, go win a championship.
0: Okay. Mike, you're going to get another chance at another hot topic. What's it going to be?
2: Oh, boy. Here's one that we actually had it on the board on Monday, but we didn't get a chance to talk about it. Um, Carson Hosovar is getting another shot In the Cup Series And this time he's going to be in the number 42 For Legacy Motor Club this weekend At Darlington So we've talked about his name a lot With a lot of these silly season rumors And is he going to skip the Xfinity Series And go straight to the Cup Series Well, here's another opportunity Carson Hosovar driving another Chevrolet In the Cup Series this weekend Well,
0: I'll take Jay, your thoughts well, here's another one that I've been really excited
1: about. And we've seen him in his Xfinity Series starts throughout the year, as well as his lone cup start with Spire Motorsports, run very solid. May not have the finish due to all, all kinds of different circumstances, but what I've seen is very solid runs. And we talked about it of even in the truck series in these first two races. His maturity level, and I'd say that flipped the switch uh, throughout this year alone, um, but certainly over the past year or two, um, that some of the decisions he makes, if you have a second-place truck or top-five truck, that, you know take fifth place if that's all you're going to get. I mean, you obviously want a driver to push, but not to the point of pushing yourself to a 20th-place finish. And I don't think we've seen that as much from him this year. Uh, There's still been a couple of little incidences, but, again, you're always looking to win and push. But I think we've seen him make much smarter decisions and get the best finish he can with what he's got in the position. Um, You know, all the circumstances taken into consideration, getting that best finish possible with it. I know we heard his name, obviously, when uh, he made the start for Spire Motorsports, whether or not he'd be with them. This is another one I thought might be uh, being looked at by Junior Motorsports to replace Josh Berry in the number eight. Because I do think he is going to come out of the truck series. Uh, No matter how he does here in the playoff runs, I see him moving on, Uh, whether it be to the Xfinity Series, possibly one of those that makes the jump right to Cup. Uh, And that's a whole separate discussion. Um, But I do think we see him move on. I think the starts he's getting at the cup series and in the show that owners and teams interested in seeing how he does. And that's why he's getting these opportunities.
0: Andy, your thoughts. Yeah, this is,
3: um, I think going to be a bit of an interesting, uh, race for them this weekend. And I say that because I think a lot of eyes will be on Carson and, and to see how he does, um, when he made his cup debut in the seven car at gateway, he did really well and performed well until he had that brake rotor issue. Um, I think he was up inside the top 15. So I think that that, that got a lot of people's attention. And to Jay's point, um, he is heavily rumored to take over the Spire 77 car next year in the cup series. So I would agree. I think that his days as a full-time truck series driver will conclude at the, at the end of this season, and I believe you'll see him, it's looking like possibly in a cup car next year. Now, you know, looking at it from, you know, a competitive standpoint, I, I think that a move to JR Motorsports in the in, a, in an Xfinity car would be a really good next step if he wants to continue to be competitive and win races. But at the same time, you know, maybe maybe he feels that the time is right for him to make a move to the cup series. And I think that, you know, certainly that performance at Gateway will have some attention on the 42 car this weekend. And let's face it, Legacy Motor Club has had a very dismal season, in particular the 42 car. It has it has just been very tough for those guys. So maybe this is a bit of a bright spot in their year. Maybe Carson can go out and give them a halfway decent run. And, and if he can do that, you know, I think that it would say a lot about him as a driver because the performance has been off all year for the 42. So, um, We'll see what happens, but I think it's a good opportunity for him to get some cup experience, and especially at a place like Darlington, it doesn't get really any more difficult than that. So um, we'll see how he does, but if he can put together a respectable finish in that particular car, I think that it has to, for sure, give him consideration for a cup ride next year
0: yeah there are definitely going to be a lot of eyes on Carson Hostopher this weekend in that number 42 car um i do um think that he will be i also agree that he will be leaving the truck series i don't see him staying there he's done extremely well he's been on a steep learning curve there uh we've seen him grow in the truck series uh from uh as a uh driver and maybe he's one of those drivers that can make that leap into the Cup Series and, and do well. Uh, as he's done with the couple of races that he's had so far and now this opportunity. Uh but I'm like you, Andy, I would prefer uh to see him go to Xfinity series. Uh, go for a championship there, and then progress to the Cup Series. It just doesn't seem that that's been his trajectory, if you will. Um, he's had a couple of starts in the Cup Series, and uh, he's had a couple of starts in the Xfinity Series as well. So who knows what can happen. But uh, I know a lot of eyes will be on Carson Hosevar in that number 42 this weekend. And uh, we'll see how that progresses Uh, as time again tells the rest of the story. Mike, what are your thoughts?
2: Carson Hosovar is really an interesting case. Uh, He really feels like he turned a corner this summer, um, figuratively speaking. Obviously, being a race car driver, he turns a lot of corners. All right, we're moving on from there. Uh, Anyway, prior to that, he was, I would say, very immature. He would make really dumb decisions on the racetrack. He would wreck his fellow competitors, you know, take out his frustrations on them and take race winning trucks and wad them up and put them in the back of the field. And a lot of ways he was a lot like Noah Gregson. Gregson a lot longer to turn that corner, but we saw the same thing with Gregson as we're seeing with Hosovar. Once that kind of maturity switch flips, they start winning races and they start being competitive for championships and opportunities begin to uh, come up for them. We saw Noah Gregson move into the Cup Series, and now we're seeing Carson Hosevar. We don't know for sure if he's moving into the Cup Series or not, but he's certainly on a much more positive trajectory than he was even just a few months ago when you know a potential team owner didn't know whether that guy was going to destroy the car that he put him in or, or race for a win with it. So Seeing the maturity that Carson Hosovar seems to has, have developed or at least is demonstrating at this point, I think is probably the biggest reason that these doors are starting to open up for him. Whether he's able to capitalize on those opportunities, like Andy said, it's going to be tough this weekend. We shouldn't take too much away from how Carson Hosovar does this weekend because he's got two things working against him. One, that 42 car is awful. It has, I don't know whether what it is with them, but that 42 car has just been – Terrible this year. It doesn't matter whether it's been Noah Gregson driving it, Mike Rockenfeller on road courses. You couldn't ask for a better driver to plug into that car. And he still did lousy. Um, and anybody else who's filled in on that car, the 42 has, has been lousy. And then you're going to take it and you're going to go to Darlington, which is attracted as notoriously tough on rookies. There's a really good chance that Carson Hosvar is going to get chewed up and spit out this weekend. But we shouldn't look at that and say, man, this guy sucks. He definitely doesn't need to be moving into the Cup Series. I wouldn't say it's unfair because, obviously, a Cup opportunity is a Cup opportunity. And you should always be grateful and take those opportunities when they present themselves but um, in terms of setting up a guy for success and being in the position to really showcase his talents, I don't think this weekend is necessarily the way for Carson Josevar to do it. So if he does wreck out of the race in stage one and end up finishing dead last, let's not say, Oh, Carson Josevar is a bust. He's going to get more opportunities. And we really need to start looking at the, the net result there as opposed to the individual results of just this weekend at Darlington.
0: Day, your
1: well, I just got to say I'm happy across the board at this point. I, I like Carson Holzivar. We've seen the progression. He's battling for a Truck Series uh, championship. Again, kind of get the feeling he's moving on upward and elsewhere. But I'm also happy to see Mike uh, recognize driver talent and not base it off of one race or having one problem.
0: So I'm I'm happy. <laughs> Andy.
3: Yeah, nothing to really add here, but I, I am going to be curious to see how he performs this weekend. And, you know, I, I do think that he has a chance to, to give the 42 a fairly decent run. And also something to consider, too, um, from a teammate perspective, this is one of his teammate Eric Jones' best racetracks. So, you know, maybe with some information sharing and you know, some good luck, they can, they can put together a much needed run, because I, I think that the 42 in particular could really use, you know, something good to happen to them this weekend.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with both you and uh, with Andy and Mike and Jay. Uh, one race is not, uh, we shouldn't project everything off of this one race. Uh but I do think that Carson Hosevar has a, a good chance of doing well. But I'm not gonna judge him harshly if he doesn't because it is Darlington. Um so we'll we'll have to wait and see what happens. Ho Hosevar uh I think Darlington is the type of ho- track that Hosevar can excel at. Uh now whether or not he can excel at in the uh number forty two car is yet to be seen. Uh but I think it's his type of track. He's used to that uh type of racing and uh I think he typically does well at those types of tracks. Uh Darlington is the track too tough to tame. It's tough on cup drivers. <laughs> it's tough on a lot of different drivers. Uh but I think if anybody can be up to the task it could be uh a driver like Carson Hosevar. So we'll we'll see what happens. Uh I have high hopes for him. Uh, but like Mike said, I think it would be unfair to judge him harshly if he doesn't do well, because there's a lot that's outside of your control at Darlington as well. Uh, but I think it's an environment that Carson Hosevar can uh, step up in as well. So we'll see what happens, and uh, I can't wait to uh, watch the race. Mike?
2: I'm here. Sorry, fumbling for the mute button. Um uh, Really not much to add. Like, like you all have said, uh, we just have to watch the race and, and find out. And, hey, if Carson Hosvar wins this weekend, great for him. Uh, again, I would not base my entire opinion on Carson Hosvar's cup prospects <laughs> on even a win this weekend at Darlington. Um, that, we as NASCAR fans tend to put a whole lot of, of stock into single event, um, single event results there. Uh, and I've been accused of that in the past. By certain people who may or may not be on this this show as well, but I uh, rest assured when there are seasons after seasons of below average performance, um, that that usually will uh, will formulate my opinion on certain drivers who don't need to be named, but they, you know they drive things like the nine car in the Xfinity series or the ninety eight. But uh, that's a different discussion for a different time. We're talking about Carson Hosevar here, and that's all I got to say about him.
0: Okay. Uh, anybody Jay, you got a quick topic for us?
1: Uh no, I don't know that there's any. Uh let me see here. Just trying to think what else we had up to, up for today. Uh, talked about that one, talk
2: about that one. Talk about the penalty. I got a quick really...
0: one. All right, go ahead. Okay. Well, there's a couple here. There was a rule book change uh, concerning the shortening of races of which drivers get to do a test before they run a cup race. Um, So concerning uh, shortening of races. uh, Okay. So there's that. And there's also I thought this was really cool. Uh, Joy Logano put up a, uh, uh, actually Bob Parker has put up a uh, video of joy logano talking about his uh, 2022 cup championship trophy and why he hasn't had it displayed i don't know if any of you've had a chance to watch that but i thought it was a really cool reason uh that he's not displaying it have you guys seen that video
3: yes i saw it
0: okay yeah, andy it. why don't you go first mike well, i think it's pretty
3: oh, sorry. go
2: ahead
0: what, no, right? I haven't Andy, gotten a chance go to
3: watch
2: it yet, Andy. but I'm sure I'm sure Andy's going to tell us what's going on. Okay, so uh, Andy,
3: go I, thought, ahead. I thought I thought it was a um, just a really cool gesture by Joey to allow his each and every individual team member take the trophy home or do whatever they want with it for a week at a time and, and have it passed around the team. And it it exemplifies the fact that it is a team sport. It is not all about the driver, and Joey 100 percent recognized that. So a lot of credit to him for you know, acknowledging the rest of his teammates and and allowing them to spend some time with the trophy. They all obviously had a hand in winning that title. So uh, I give him a lot of credit for that. And I think it's a pretty uh, neat concept.
0: Jay?
1: Yeah, and you heard Joey reference it. It's with the, uh, and now I lost the name of it, the Stanley Cup when it comes to hockey, NHL. Now, there it's a little different because those are all players on the ice or playing field at the time, whereas Joey, when we talk about racing, a lot of times it's talked about the driver and not so much as far as the crew. I mean, we've seen the crew highlighted for Joe Gibbs racing, uh, number 54. They've gotten some recognition, but to really, for Joey as a driver to say, Hey, I get to drive the car, but these guys behind me, whether it be at the shop, you know, on the pit crew, whatever um, to recognize them like that, I think is huge. And I think is even more important in a case like this because, like I said, they don't always even get the recognition because they're not all out there at one time. It's the driver that gets highlighted, but he's saying, hey, I got people behind me.
0: Absolutely. Mike, uh, you want to say something?
2: Well, yes, like you guys said, it's, it's super cool and a great way to recognize the whole team as a as a as a sport. And it's uh, you know, another example of Joey Logano, good guy off the racetrack. I would really love to hear Tommy's opinion on this one because we know how much of a big fan of Joey Logano Tommy is. Uh, I would love to hear how somehow Joey Logano is a bad guy for doing this because I've really got nothing negative to say. Super cool on Joey's part to do that and recognize all of his team members because – uh, Jay's right. They don't, oftentimes they don't get the recognition that a lot of times they deserve because, yeah, the driver is kind of the face of the team, but the drivers is going nowhere. Literally speaking, the drivers is going nowhere without the efforts of those crew members. So it's really great to recognize them and give them the opportunity to celebrate that win that they, get, they earned as a team, not just Joey Logano by himself because we all know that Joey was not the only one responsible for that championship.
0: Yeah, I don't know if Joy Logano was born in June or if he's a Gemini or not, but the Geminis uh, typically have two different personalities. And that's the way I see Joy Logano. He's got the one personality when he gets behind the wheel of his car and he's out there to win. He doesn't care who he ticks off. He's going to do what he has to do to win. Uh, But then there's this other personality that Joy Logano has where he's always got a smile on his face. And then you see something like this. Um, where he's he's uh, sharing that championship trophy. He said it might come back with scratches on it. He doesn't care. He thinks everybody should have a part in enjoying that trophy. And he, so all of his crew members get that one week to do whatever they want to do with that trophy. And I, th- I thought that was the coolest thing I've seen a driver do. Um, Was sharing it and passing it around to the rest of his team, because you're right, they don't get a lot of recognition for what they do, and uh, they do it day in and day out. Uh, to do the, you know, their their satisfaction is seeing their driver do well on the track. But as far as getting kudos for what they do every week, uh, it's pretty much left up to the the team owner to make sure that they get their kudos because publicly they don't get a lot of kudos. So I thought this was uh, number one, really cool to share the video. Uh, and and let us all know that that's what Joey Logano's done because he does take a lot of heat uh, sometimes for what he does behind the wheel. Uh, but he he really has uh, this was one of the coolest things I've heard of, and I think it should get uh, some attention to it. So um, Andy, do you have any follow up on it? I know we're coming up to the top of the hour. I do not actually. I'm good okay i'm going to kind of let that be good then for for us uh for hot topics today um sharon can and, i add a quick thing there sure sure and you mentioned
1: it though of of just how joey Logano is if you notice too this wasn't that he brought it to light somebody else found out about it and covered it he didn't come out saying he yeah. had done it somebody else came to him to cover it that's the type of personality as you said, off the track. <laughs> uh,
0: one of the reasons why a lot of people like them, but uh, there's there's those like Tommy that have a different opinion. But I thought this was something that uh, should be called attention to. Okay, so let's go around the horn here um, with regard to uh, um, our roundtable on signing off. So Andy, we'll start with you.
3: B 14 fan on Twitter. As always, good to be on the show. Uh, always enjoyable. And I do have a question, Sharon. With with it being Labor Day, what are we doing uh, for the review show next week?
0: Uh, Jay and I are probably going to do a podcast on Tuesday. Does that work for everybody?
3: Um, I think so. It'll. I, I'd have to call it to be determined right now, but uh, it, we will have to see how it goes. But at this point, I will uh, make a note of that.
0: Oh, okay. Thanks.
1: Jay? Well, I wanted to add to that, Andy, if, uh, if able, I'd really like for you to be able to actually do the, the main portion of the review with Sharon, if you're available. Oh,
0: that's um, right. That's right. I I'd my, forgotten
1: about that. My, Thank you, Jay. Yep. Okay, as I do yeah, my right. round table, you'll find out why. Um, you can follow me, uh, Facebook, Michael Housman, Mopar MJ on 8 on Twitter and Instagram, Friday and Saturday night, i will be at Jackson Motor Speedway, your capital city raceway. As we mentioned earlier, Flow Racing is going to be there to cover the 11th annual All-American 60 with the Comp Cam Super Late Models. They move to Magnolia Motor Speedway, home of the black ice on Sunday. I won't be able to attend that 15 miles from my house because I'm going to be up in Tennessee for the Murray County Fair covering the jump and run event for... Uh, Sunday and Monday, which means I'm going to be tired on Tuesday. But as I told Sharon, I'll be there. Uh, Andy, if you're there to cover it, I could sleep in a little bit more.
3: <laughs> yeah, sounds good. I'll I'll do my best to, to try to make that happen. I just got to check a couple of things, but um, I will certainly do what I can.
0: Okay. Andy, we're flexible. So if evening is better for you, just let me know. Sounds good. Okay. Mike. Going to be
2: Mike underscore is on Twitter. Mike double underscore O on Reddit. I I'm going to be sitting on the couch all week all weekend watching racing. and I'm really looking forward to it. Darlington usually puts on a great show, uh, so we we're, uh, we're, we should have a great weekend of racing here. And I'm, I'm going to be sitting on the couch and watching it. Hopefully, my good buddy Andy Lasky will be there, and we can chat and uh, and talk uh, only kind words, of course about all the uh, the other drivers and their talents uh, throughout the race. Um, as far as the podcast on Tuesday, that's going to be TBD for me. Uh, I am on call with work. I may or may not be available. I'll keep you posted. So I'll talk to you then, or if I don't, I'll talk to you the next time I do.
0: Okay, thanks, Mike. I appreciate it. And I appreciate all of you guys for uh, being available today. And uh, it's always fun when we have uh, the group together. So I am fan site on Twitter. And first of all, let me go back a minute. Uh, Jay, you've done a great job of filling in for Sal uh, as well, as, uh, uh, and I appreciate that. I don't think I said that to you on Monday, but I want to make sure I acknowledge the fact that you've been doing a lot of filling in for Sal here as well. So thank you so much for that. Um, well, also, my I am, fan... thank you. I am fan for racing site on Twitter, fan for racing blog and radio elsewhere, including our website, fan dot com, where we have our radio, uh, player available for everybody to listen to our live broadcast when we do that or our podcast as we put those out as well. So, um, I am definitely looking forward to the first race of the uh, playoffs for the uh, Cup Series, as well as the Xfinity Series. Uh, they're winding down their series, uh, their regular season as well. This is the next to the last race for the Xfinity Series, so I know tensions are mounting as uh, as they head to the final. Uh, race of their regular season next weekend, uh, it's going to get exciting. So we've got a lot to look forward to. And let's not forget the Arkham Art Series race on dirt out at Duquesne Fairgrounds Speedway this weekend as well it is going to be exciting. And uh, not so much for the championship run, because I think Jesse Love uh, is looking pretty good with 120 120- Point gap over second place But there's a lot of racing going on uh, For that second, third, fourth And fifth place uh, In the Arkham Menard series And I'll be anxious to watch that Because you've got some a lot of Illinois drivers In there, Kelly Kosky being one of them uh, That could very well take this win So we'll see what happens It's going to be fun to watch uh, So With that, uh, I think we're ready To call it a day uh, Guys
3: All right. Enjoy the rest of your day. Enjoy the weekend. Have a
0: good one. Mm -hmm. Okay. Enjoy your race weekend, everybody. We'll see you on the other side.